Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. gets out of it. Cup strand, the base is loaded. He came in after that second inning, said uh, nothing was hurting, had a dead arm, nothing was coming out the way he wanted it to. A little stiff, nothing in the same spot that we've been working on this whole time. So we weren't going to risk it. We took him out. My Mai Tai has spilled. It's all over. It's in the pool. It's on my shirt. I'm sitting by the pool and it suddenly is raining. I'm at the beach right now. Are you one of those guys? Do you wear shirts in the pool, man? No, I'm trying to get it. The, the analogy's gone awry, but. Well, whose fault is that? I was over here on not panicking about the Cardinals rotation island. You were over there on Pina Colada Island. It's not going well for me right now. I believe we spent I'm officially an, panicking. I believe we spent an entire segment one day talking about how BK is not panicking about the offense or the pitching and everyone needs to get on board with this. I still felt I, I was in the right. On that, you sure? (laughs) No ish. I don't. I don't feel like I was wrong. Is it hot out today? Nope, it's not. It actually feels great outside today. We're all going to the Cardinals game. We think as long as we get credentials, we're not sure if that's going to happen or not. We'll see uh, later on this evening. And man, does this team have a whole lot of questions right now? If you missed it over the weekend, and God bless you for not watching those godforsaken games, uh, the Cardinals did not play particularly well. I've already got it on the text line, 65780. Hey, BK, how's that Cubs rivalry now? Yeah, not good. Not going well. What happened when I was gone? The biggest issue for the Cardinals right now is I don't think they can any longer count on Jack Flaherty to be healthy this season. And... Listen, yesterday they said it's a dead arm. I heard earlier today, Will Carroll, the injury expert, went on with Carriker and Smallman. and he's like, hey, you know, this is not a big deal. This is actually a good thing in terms of like the alternative is much, much worse. This could maybe only take a couple of weeks. I'm not buying it. Did Max Scherzer have a dead arm in the playoffs last year for the Dodgers? Mm-hmm. I don't think he pitched anymore. Well, it's fine. Apparently it's but okay. Dead arms are fine? Yeah, it's fine. And he's an injury expert? Uh, he said... A couple of weeks should be good to go. Rip oh, it back God. up. Ah. Yeah. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I don't just think that the Cardinals now need to make a big trade, Alex, or a trade, rather. I think it has to be something of significance. Jack Flaherty is your version of Los on. If he's healthy, he's probably going to be really good. I can't count on him to be healthy. He's a mystery box right now. And more often than not, 
it doesn't result in me getting the boat that I was looking for. So I need to go out there and I need to find somebody that can be a front end of the rotation starter because right now, frankly, the Cardinals don't match up very well with the other teams that are going to be in the playoffs when it comes to the top three in your rotation. Who's your number three starter right now? Is it Matt's whenever he's healthy? No, it's Dakota Hudson. He's yeah. really a number two. How you feeling about that, Alex? Fine. Honestly, right now, for all my options, I'd say Polante's my number three. You've got to go out there and get another starter because I just, after what we've seen, we said it was a three-start threshold where we're not going to be panicking until we th- see three starts. Well, guys, we've seen three starts. And if you combine the three, he got about to the length that I was hoping he would be at. I think, he got, six yeah. in- I think he got six innings and three starts. Where are you at on this, Alex? I, I mean... It's kind of, it's, I'm kind of to the point of the cliche saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like, that's kind of where I'm at now with Jack Flaherty because I fell into it. I thought that me he too, was, buddy. me too. I thought for, for how long he was out and for everything we saw, granted, it was what, five innings in the minors? That, God, those were good endings. Yeah, though. I mean, the guy you remember was, that? gave up one hit. He struck out nine. I'm thinking, oh, man, Jack Flaherty's 2019 man. Jack Memphis Flaherty. So good. In the words of uh, Anthony Stalter, it's as good as making a trade. It's, that's how I like felt. making a trade. I think we went on the air after his uh, second minor league start and said, I don't need to make a trade. But now I'm at the point now where you, you can't get to me anymore, Jack. You no longer feel like you're, you're capable of being the anchor of a rotation for me. And that 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 that's a little scary with a team right now that I want to say has the offense to make a run, but that didn't look very good over the weekend. I want to say that they have the weapons in the bullpen, although that's been hurt now because of your pitching staff. It all comes back to the fact that you don't have a guy who can be consistent six innings going out like Miles Michaelis. So where I'm at is... Yeah, I think you have to be aggressive in this circumstance if you're John Mazzei. Like The problem is all of the teams that made sense, that were bad, that were like, oh, you can make a trade with these guys. Yeah, what the hell, Phillies? They're all willing. They're all, right, all winning now. time. They lost Harper this week. They Shane Bieber apart. looks like an all-star. Aaron Nola's <laughs> winning with his team. The only guy now is Frankie Montas, where every team is drooling at the mouth hey, to go gonna get this guy. You're going to see one of them this, tonight. Yeah, you ain't getting Pablo Lopez. I can promise you that. Yeah, I can't and you had Sandy Alcantara, really and you let that go through Honestly, your fingertips. Pablo Lopez has such a long injury history. I'm not sure I want him either right now. <laughs> how, can we figure out how to clone a human being? Because Miles Michaelis would be great if there were three others. God, it would be, it'd be two awesome others. just have two of them. Yeah, I would say two others because Dakota Hudson's fine and Adam Wainwright's fine. No. Yeah, Dakota Hudson's fine. You guys just How are you chill. feeling today? Well, everyone's Tanner. telling us relax. Uh, you, I said from I the beginning of the year, and, and I've heard BT say it at the beginning of the year as well, this team could not win a World Series without Jack Flaherty. Now, I'm with you guys. I, I can't try. I, Cardinals cannot rely on a healthy Jack Flaherty coming back this year. It's essentially come down to a stance on Jack Flaherty where it is basically, you know what, whatever you get out of him is a plus as long as the whatever you get out of him isn't what you saw in these last three starts because you can't rely on him to go deep into games right now. He, he didn't look... He didn't look confident with his stuff, whether it was a dead arm or not, in his previous two starts. Uh, so the Cardinals do have to pivot. They have to find a way to win, go win a World Series without a 
Jack Flaherty. Now, is that going to acquire a top-end starter off the trade market? I yes. kind of agree with you. I think they are going to need to go make a big-time move because right now, Miles Michaels, I think he can be the number one for you in the playoffs, but if he's a number two, you feel even better. Otherwise, Wainwright, he's been okay this year. He's probably a solid number two, but that three spot is the big question mark, as you mentioned. Then even the four spot, if you need the fourth starter in the playoffs, it's going to be tough for the Cardinals to piece this together. This is a good enough team to go make a move and go to acquire a starter. Now, there are other ways to try and pivot if the Cardinals elected to do that, but I think the starting rotation adding to that has now become clearly the number one need for the St. Louis Cardinals. And get rid. I don't think they need to look for a bullpen arm anymore. I think they have to go get a starter. So you've got four days before you need that fifth starter. So you're saying they have to make a big trade in four days? No, because right now, I th- are we all on the same page? You've got Wayno, Hudson, Palante, Michaelis. That's your next four days, three against Miami, and then that first game, Michaelis going up against Philadelphia. The day after that, I think you probably see Matthew Libertor on the mound for the Cardinals as your starter. That would be my assumption, is that he ends up kind of plugging into the rotation for the foreseeable future. Maybe he even gets a start or two and... You try to see what that looks like first before you make any sort of what we are all talking about, which would obviously be a panic move. We're panicking right now. That's not how John Mosaloc should do his job. He should go about it with a a steady hand and it, maybe you find something that ends up being for your rotation what Tommy Edmond has been for your shortstop problem. I would be very surprised if that ends up happening. I think you... Honestly, you might have fallen into that with Andre Pallante. He might be what Tommy Edmond is right now to your shortstop situation. Maybe it ends up being, hey, you can buy yourself enough time for Steven Matz to get back into the rotation. And that plugs the hole well enough that you feel okay about it. Even with that, though, this team is good enough to invest in, man. It is. I know the record isn't great. They're 41 and 34. And me saying this coming off of the weekend that we just saw is not anything that anybody wants to hear. And we'll get into everything that went wrong for the Cardinals over the weekend. But the Cardinals are a really good team. They've got what should be a very good lineup. The bullpen, when everybody's healthy in the rotation, sets up pretty well. And your rotation, at least the top two, I feel really, really good about but you're missing that number three guy or even somebody that slots in somewhere in that top three, right? And until you get that, I'm not sure I can take you seriously as a World Series contender. I could take you seriously as a playoff contender, but you get into the playoffs and you're going up against the likes of the Mets or the Dodgers or the Padres or honestly, maybe even the Braves. I I don't know that I can have your rotation stacking up against their rotation and feel good about that with the way that things are stacking up currently. Yeah, I mean, right now, like if you were hypothetically going into a playoff series, which I know we're getting a little bit too far down the road here, but that's what you're always looking towards. I feel good about one starter, no matter what, and the second starter, if it's a home game, and that's Adam Wainwright. Other than that, yeah, I mean, I don't feel comfortable with anybody else taking the mound. So... R.I.P. Sorry, Dakota Hudson. Oh, no, I was talking about Dakota being the one I was confident in no matter what. Miles is the one that we're done with right now. (laughs) I I just you're right. And I know we're going to get into this a little bit later on of this offense not having the the best weekend. Although is this text line right? Did you say that the Cardinals were set up for a sweep this weekend? Did you see what the Cubs had done? He did say it. So you BKO'd them. No. They BKO'd themselves. No, they didn't. They were the ones that hitched their wagon that's, to Jack Flaherty. That's why the Jack Flaherty went down with shoulder stiffness, and that's why the <laughs> offense couldn't hit Kyle Hendricks, because you're no, over here no. sitting here talking Don't you about... you put Kyle Hendricks on me? You BKO'd him. Oh, the Cardinals are set up for a good series sweep. Come on, man. 
But regardless, the Cubs came into this losing 14 of their last really? 17 games. Goes and into their the pitching nar- was dead last in ERA this goes month. Goes into the narrative of the Cardinals can't beat bad teams, right? 14 of 17 the Cubs had lost. Jack Flaherty gets hurt. The offense blow, the uh, the team blows a 5 to nothing lead. BKO. Cabrera goes on the injury list. The BKO. Cardinals can't say it, but I can. He's got COVID. The offense right, went right, four, four for 20 over no. the weekend with runners in scoring position. He's on the 10-day IL. There's only one thing that can land you on the 10-day well, IL. Well, you could have some type of ingrown nail or... That's 15 days. Oh, how do you know? Have you ever had an ingrown nail? No, that's how the IL works, man. I don't think it does. Now you've got Pablo oh, Lopez and Sandy too. Alcantara. <laughs> The next 17 games are against the Marlins, the you Phillies, the Braves, and the Dodgers. I've changed my mind. This is all your fault. <laughs> this is all your fault. I go away two days, and you ruin a Cardinals weekend against the Cubs. This is our last full five-day week as a show together, the three of us. Well, what does that like mean? For like a month. Oh, that's true. <laughs> next week's the 4th of July. The week after that, I'm on vacation. The week after that, Alex is probably going to be at home for a month with his baby. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> I got all the vacation days piled up. <laughs> I, I, yep. Of course, this is how it's going to go. Of course it is. But regardless, with all the doom and gloom that BK likes to surround himself with, Tebow, we can be the optimistics one, optimistic ones here. Uh, I can't after that weekend. This no, is a team that bad. you do have to invest in if Thank you're John you. Mosellock. This is a team that you cannot look at. You've got the devil magic in Brendan Donovan right now. Now just slugging balls nonstop. Juan Pez is hitting them 440 plus feet out of the ballpark. You got Nolan invested. Gorman doing the same thing. Nolan Gorman, Paul Goldschmidt, an MVP type season. Dakota Hudson looking like an ace. This is a team you have to invest in. And I think the closer you get to the trade deadline, the harder it's going to be to pull off one of those deals. So here's my one big concern, though. That the Cardinals never make trades for? Well, yes. And also, who are you trading? Alec Burleson's probably there. I'm assuming that's what you mean. Like, is there a prospect who you're willing to part with? Yeah. Mason Wynn? Alec Burleson, I don't think Wynn's. You might have to. he's untouchable. You might have to. Wynn, Walker, Gorman, uh, Herrera. I think are your top five, right? Hasn't Tommy Evan changed your mind at shortstop? Like, I understand you want Mason Wynn, but, like, that might be the commodity to get you an ace. I think Edmund is still. I mean, look, Edmund can, did can you plug see, and play him anywhere. Did you see that like spin around throw that he made? Yeah, he's really good. But I think you view Mason Wynn as another really good piece, and I view I think you view him in your future. I think McGreevy, Wynn, Walker, Herrera, Gorman are all untouchable. I think the highest <laughs> cool any I, team with a yeah. good pitcher is going to say, well, "All I, right, I, not talking I to you." The problem. One, I think their number one trade chip is probably Alec Burleson. And, and I don't even know if they want to part him. I think you need to stop being a mama bird, and I think you need to start letting some of these yeah. prospects go. Well, I did that, and now Contra's an ace. <laughs> well, that's that your fault. You, you got Marcelo Zuna for that bird. That's well, your fault. You were given a you were you were given a. Uh, I got a bear in return to climb the wall. <laughs> you were like Jack and the Beanstalk. You turned in the cow for those magic beans. The only thing is, they those magic beans gold, were magic. To be fair, <laughs> I mean, like, what do you mean? Alcantara was great. No, have you seen what Goldschmidt's doing? I struck gold there. Yeah, but those are two different trades, man. I understand, but that one worked out you really got well. Marcelo Zuna, yeah. who had to climb the left field wall to not make a catch. Sometimes you gotta you gotta mine for coal before you can strike gold. Um, and that's that's what they Did got. Did you BK with the Sandy Alcantara trade, True? No, 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 no. That, I wasn't even here for that one. I, I was. Uh, I was. He was probably dreaming about it. The problem for the Cardinals is that if your best piece that you are willing to offer somebody is Alec Burleson. And Matthew Libertor. I think he's tradable. That might help. 
Text line brought that up, and I think the Cardinals would yeah. potentially part I mean, I think it. you'd have to consider I think it Zach now. Zach Thompson's untouchable But now. has his stock r- lowered? In the eyes of, like, you, me, and Tanner, yes. In the eyes of Major League Baseball, I don't know. because oh, I like, still like Libertor. I, I wouldn't say my I, mean, eye, I like his In the eyes of me and, me and I like Alex, his last yes. name. He's, he's, he's fine. So he's probably going to project to be a number hey, three or four inc- starter. If they could include Luke Weaver in a Goldschmidt trade, they could include Libertor that's in fair. any trade. No, that's true. I, but, like... You look at what they have to offer right now. Man, there are going to be other teams that have more to offer probably than Alec Burleson and a guy that projects to be a number three or four starter for, I mean, Frankie Montas or pie in the sky looking down to Miami and maybe getting Pablo Lopez or somebody like that. You're just not getting that with those kinds of prospects. You're going to have to give up one of those top five guys you don't want to. And that's where it gets really tough is this team is is pretty much in desperation mode right now, at least through our eyes they're not actually but we want them to be and i don't know that they have the assets that they're willing to part with to be able to go get these guys and frankly i don't i don't necessarily blame them for some of these it's gonna be tough if you're telling me you could get and i don't think it's possible but if you can get a guy like a shane bieber or an Aaron Nola for those names as long as it's not probably can't say i'm not sure you could because the, the well, Guardians, Nola's, yeah, Nola's not going to happen, and the and then, Guardians aren't yeah. selling right now. They're, so Frankie Montas out of first place. So like, let's let's go down this path. The only realistic name that matches what we're talking about is Frankie Montas. Yeah, there's nobody else out on this and market. There are other guys on the market, but you've got like Mer- Merrill Kelly. I think Merrill Kelly would fit into that role, but he's more of like a he's like the three you're feeling, not the yeah. top end guy. And I don't think. And he, then the other pieces, they're just in the division. Like a Luis Castillo, boy, he would look good in Cardinal Red, but he ain't going to be traded in the division. Tyler Molly. 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 Oh, we're not sure how to pronounce it's Molly. It. Yeah. Jeff Passan brought in another pronunciation for it over the weekend. So it's knows. Molly. 65780 is the air cover service tax line to get involved in the show throughout the day today. Coming up at 1145, we'll have questions and answers. We've got a lot of questions for Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider, who will join the show. Hopefully she can bring some more optimism for you guys coming up at 1130. But next, that Stanley Cup final didn't go the way Alex certainly was hoping. Oh, you're you're an Avalanche fan now? Nah, but I was always a believer. Are they about to go on a run similar to the 2010s Blackhawks? Talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. I mean, it didn't surprise us. I mean, the guy's a major league pitcher. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Four check here from Bill McCarr. It's all the way to the other end of the ice. Four seconds, three seconds, two seconds, one second. It's over. They did it. They did it. The job is done. The Colorado Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions. And they will lift Lord Stanley a mile high. That audio courtesy of the Avalanche TV network alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was our friend Connor McGahey, who I think had his voice crack seven to 12 times in the Didn't final call. did he joke with us when he talked to us when it was the Blues and Avalanche series about his voice cracking? He did. Yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. After that McKinnon goal where he went the length of the I'll, ice. I'll have to text him and tell him that that voice just continues to crack. Well, he uh, he saw his team win the Stanley Cup final last night, and obviously nobody here in St. Louis is happy about that, especially Alex, who said that they stunk all postseason long. But Never said they stunk. They are Stanley Cup champions So now. are the Blues, technically. Nobody can take that away from them, unfortunately. And Alex, as I was looking through, like, this is a team that's going to look a lot different next year. I mean, what they just did is literally historic. They finished the postseason 16-4. and four. It's the second-best record um, for a Stanley Cup 
winner since 1987. The only team that was better was the 88 Oilers. They happened to have, um, you know, Mark Messier and this guy named Wayne Gretzky on the team. They were pretty good. Mm, Debatable. This was a really good avalanche team, and it's going to look a lot different next year because of free agency and all of the guys that are about to hit the open market. They can't keep bring everybody back. But, uh, Alex, they have a core that reminds me of those early 2010 Blackhawks teams where the supplementary pieces would change, but the main guys were always the same. It was always Patrick Kane. It was, uh, you look back at those teams and Seabrook and who else am Duncan I? Duncan Keith. Duncan Keith and uh, Taves. Those were the main pieces that you're building around. Same thing's true for the Evs. They've got McKinnon and McCarr and Landeskog and Rantanen, Taves. Those are their top five guys that they're going to continue building around. Is this going to be a run similar to what we saw from the Blackhawks where they went to the conference finals five times out of seven years and they went to the cup three out of those seven years? I don't know if it's going to be that many because sooner or later they're going to be in a poor cap situation. I I think they're kind of somewhere in the middle of that because I can see them next season being this effective once again. Here's the thing, though. Their depth is going to disappear. I truly believe the reason Colorado was so dominant in this postseason was because, I mean, there was no place for you to breathe. I mean, even when you got up against the fourth line, Cogliano and Darren Helm were still finding ways to uh, put the hurt on against you. And with the Lekkonens and the Kadris and the Nachushkins, and then, of course, the top threes and McKinnis and Rantanen's Landeskogs, like it, it just it felt like you were drowning and you were never being able to come up for air. I don't know if they're going to have that next season. Now, they have cap space. They can make things work. But Nathan McKinnon's going to be getting a nice payday, specifically because he just won a Stanley Cup. And he's going into his free agent season next season. And then on top of it, the big three in Kadri. Nachushkin, Burakovsky, all three of those guys are unrestricted free agents, and you've got to re-sign Arturi Lekkanen. And I went back and looked at the contracts when the Chicago Blackhawks were dangerous. Kane and Taves were both making $6.3 million. Keith and Seabrook were making about $5.8 million. And Marion Hosa was making around $5.25 mil. To be fair, the, the cap has changed significantly since then, where it's gone up but, sizably. So percentage-wise of the cap, I would imagine it was probably pretty similar. But the players are demanding more money now, and on top of it, the, the cap isn't going anywhere. It's only going up like a million dollars. So there's going to be problems that come into it. So this is a long-winded answer of saying, I don't think they're going to go on a Blackhawks run. I think next year they can still be really dominant. And then I think after that, then they're going to have to start getting into their depth pieces that can step up with the big three. And that's something Chicago is really good at. Colorado, I don't know yet because they've traded a lot of those depth pieces away. See, I I think they have the potential to go on one of those Chicago Blackhawks runs because they have some of those pieces that you're talking about when you comp them, kind of. the They've got the Taze and the Keen because they've got uh, McKinnon that's locked. Now, his next contract will determine a lot of how things go. Definitely. If he takes a team-friendly deal, then, yeah, look out for the Colorado Avalanche. But if he goes, I want my money and I want my 10 to $11.5 million Who's a that? year McKinnon? deal. McKinnon? Which, look, let's be honest, he's worth every penny of that. But the bigger the contract, the harder things become for an organization. And that's something that Avs may face. So if he takes a big contract, we're having a different conversation potentially next year. But I think they have their core pieces together. And I think when you have a player like a Nathan McKinnon and a Kale McCarr who can lift everyone up around them, I think you can bring in those complimentary pieces and it can be like the quote unquote scrap heap guys that can come in and make a difference for a franchise like the Colorado avalanche. They may not go on to win uh, two or three more cups, but I think they have the potential to be a team that's going to definitely hang around and be a 
big difference maker in the Western Conference Finals. Like right now, if you told me in three years who are going to be the teams fighting atop the Western Conference, to me it's St. Louis, Colorado, and then I'm not sure who I would really take out of the Pacific Division uh, because I don't know about Calgary and I don't know about Edmonton with McDavid and uh, in, in their future of how they're going to look in the landscape. I think the biggest thing for Colorado that could really derail that is what they do at goaltending because Darcy Kemper, they won with an average goaltender. Let's just be honest. Sure, he played pretty well last night. But he's an average goaltender. Can they survive with average goaltending throughout a run like this? I don't know. I'm not sure that they can. But they definitely have the pieces, and you can bring in complementary pieces around and McKinnon and all and Landeskog and all those guys, and they can still be very good and be very good players for the upcoming years. That's where I'm at. I think it all comes down to what they do in net. If they find their answer in net the way that the Blackhawks did with Corey Crawford, like, okay, yeah, they, they could have that kind of a run. But they've got to find somebody that can be that guy for them. And right now... I don't think it is Darcy Kemper, honestly. I know that he was able to win a Stanley Cup this year. Alex, that's one of the most miraculous things I've ever seen in in terms of a Stanley Cup run where you've got a legit average goalie in that. He made me eat my words last night because the second period, he made some big-time saves for Colorado that they absolutely needed. But overall, he was not very good in the playoffs. He was not. He was was Cam Talbot. He was the biggest weakness on their roster. He finished the postseason with a 9.02 save percentage. That is not good enough, typically, to win a Stanley Cup final. But for them, it was because of how excellent they are offensively and their defense stepped up as well down the stretch. And they forechecking wise, they are they do not get enough credit for how good of a forechecking team that they are. But but they lose some of that if these free agents walk 100 percent. And that's why, like, it's that sliding scale Mm -hmm. that we always talk about, right? With the Cardinals, you've got to be really good offensively if your pitching is going to take a step back. And same thing with the defense. And that also exists in hockey where. If you are going to take a step back in terms of the depth of scoring, and they almost certainly will, even if it's not a huge step back, it's going to be something. I think they're going to lose two of Kadri, Nachushkin, and Burakovsky. They'll be able to keep one of those guys. So you got to improve somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And the the place that's the easiest for them to upgrade should be in net, where in the regular season, really good year. No, no doubt about it, really good season for Darcy Kemper. 921 save percentage, no knocks on that. You're not going to hear me disagree. But in the playoffs, he was not very good. So I, I'm i fascinated to see what their plan is. What would you guys think if they ended up being the team that signed Husso? I don't think we've talked about that a single time. But if I was them, I would at least give it some consideration. But wouldn't you just keep Kemper? Because I don't think Kemper's going to get more than what Husso gets. I think both of those guys will get around the same contract. Maybe, but Kemper's 32. Husso's a younger guy. Yeah. Maybe you think that you're catching him on the upswing where maybe this is the start of him becoming a legit franchise I, goalie. I remember hearing a report. I don't remember. I think it was during one of their playoff rounds where they apparently are very high on Pablo Francois. They're the yeah, they have tender. been for the last couple of years. Yeah. That's why they let Grubauer walk and because had, they love Francois. Had, I was looking at his numbers. He had pretty good numbers when he yeah. was in the playoffs this year. Had a 906 save percentage, I believe is what it, it was. If Vili Husso went to Colorado, I, I mean, that's a good spot for Vili Husso to be in because Definitely. they got a good defense in front of them and they play very similar to the way that the Blues play fast on the defensive side and they like to move the puck quickly through the neutral zone. The only question is, will Vili Husso be able to make those big-time saves like Darcy Kemper was unable to make in the playoffs for them? And I know he made the ones that mattered because they won the Stanley Cup, but I think we all can agree that a lot of the Stanley Cup was because of Colorado's offense, not because of their goaltending. Vili Husso, in my opinion, is... He's not like Darcy Kemper because Darcy Kemper's got more of a regular season background but underneath him. He just doesn't have the playoff experience, and now he's got it. Vili Husso doesn't have the regular season experience, and that's going to be 
I think the biggest question if a team signs him, but that's a good spot to go in if you're Vili Huso. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, I I think it's worth monitoring. I, I don't know that they will be the one that ends up doing it, but somebody's going to pay Vili Huso this offseason. I, I really think it's Edmonton is like power ranking number right. one, Toronto power ranking number two, where Vili Huso could go. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. But Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic, Maybe she can make us feel more optimistic God, about this so. Jack Flaherty situation. We'll ask her about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. All right. I look forward to this conversation every week, but maybe never more than today, because I think Katie Wu of all people, she's joining us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line can help bring me and Alex Ferrario and maybe Tanner as well back from the doom and gloom. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing on this Monday morning? BK, Alex, I'm fine, but I was told that you two are being a little bit of a vibe killer today. Um, not how you want to start a Monday with this, all this doom and gloom and, and overall just, I don't know, sadness, disappointment, pessimism. But I'm here to hopefully turn this around because, quite honestly, Tanner deserves better. Katie, yeah, that's Katie, right. don't let Tanner's childish m- – I, I, I don't even know what word. He's got me so heated right now. Don't let his childish exaggeration fool you. He walked into the studio earlier today and said the Cardinals suck. Whoa, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Tanner would never say such a thing. Um, No way. Katie, last week you used a great analogy (laughs) in suggesting that watching the Cardinals in one game was like watching the lamp falling over. And you know there's nothing you can do about it, but you see it falling over in slow motion. What I saw over the last three starts from Jack Flaherty was as if I had put my wedding ring next to the garbage disposal and suddenly it falls into the sink and goes down the drain and there is nothing I can do about it because of how valuable Jack Flaherty is to this Cardinals team. Katie, how how worried should we be about what we saw yesterday with Jack leaving after two innings with what they called shoulder stiffness and then after afterwards, Ollie Marmol said it's just a dead arm. One, I really liked your analogy of equating Jack Flaherty's value value to the Cardinals as a wedding ring because he is very much supposed to be the bridge in the second half to boost them into postseason contention. So, of course, to your point, it's concerning when you see Jack Flaherty go out there for three starts and look virtually nothing like the pitcher that he has cratched himself to be. It's been perplexing to see the differences between the two minor league starts that he had during his rehab assignment, and I totally understand the difference in competition and the difference in venue. All of that, the difference of intensity has been talked about. But from both a mechanical standpoint and from a demeanor standpoint, Jack just simply hasn't looked right. It could be a matter of, you know, I know he went out there the first start and admitted he was amped up, he was juiced up, maybe trying a little bit too hard. But over the last two starts, the velocity's been down. The, the slider, we've seen it. It hasn't come out right. Look, any time, just given what's, what's happened to Jack over the last 12 months, that he leaves a start after two innings, throwing 49 pitches when he was supposedly slated for 85 to 90 there's a concern level. After the game, Ollie Marmel said, you know, the, the positive here is that Jack wasn't feeling any pain. He had a dead arm sensation. I'll read you guys the quote. 
He came in after the second inning and said nothing was hurting, had a dead arm, nothing was coming out the way he wanted it to, a little stiff, but nothing in the same spot we've been working on. We just weren't going to risk it. So a couple of pauses we can highlight from that quote. Three words. Nothing was hurting. That's huge. Anytime that a guy like Flaherty or any pitcher coming back from a serious injury has pain, immediate red flag. Nothing in the same spot we've been working on. Another thing that I think we can focus on as a positive is it's a different area. A dead arm sensation, sure, still concerning, I think, in the grand scheme of things. You didn't want to see him leave that game after two innings. You like to see his line over the last three starts resemble a little bit more of the line we've come to expect from Flaherty. But I think the Cardinals, and you can make the argument here that it didn't make a lot of sense for an organization to be so considerate and methodical about bringing a guy like Jack back to rush him through after two starts. You can totally make that argument. I think they are going to be precautionary. And of course I would expect a precautionary move of maybe Jack going on the 10 day, 15 day IL today, just to clear space for James Nail, Jeff Jones, breaking that news this morning. We'll see again. I think these next couple of days are going to be really imperative. And if the Cardinals find themselves without Jack Flaherty again, for a significant amount of time, might be time to press that panic button. Well, and then what's the, what's the next move with that, Katie, because we've seen the Cardinals without Jack Flaherty so far use a lot of different arms and kind of take a blow to the bullpen with so many guys trying to help out in the rotation. doesn't feel like that can can withstand another two to three weeks. No, it can't. And, you know, I try not to have supercharged opinions about this team because at the end of the day, my opinion hardly carries any weight. It's more of a, you know, just kind of seen from a, a grand scope of things on where this team can look to improve. You don't want to speculate on any pitcher's health. You certainly will hope for the Cardinals' sake and for Jack's sake that he's not missing a significant amount of time, that this certainly is precautionary. Again, they'll know a little bit more in the next couple of days. But if it does come to a point where they're looking at losing him for a substantial amount of time, again, this ace-caliber pitcher that was supposed to bridge the Cardinals through the second half I think at this point, when you look at the depth they've had, when you look at who's knocking on the door in AAA, when you look to have, when you look to have movable pieces, you start considering a trade for a starting pitcher. Katie, that's where I wanted to go to because, like, you're you are a responsible journalist. You cover this team day to day. You make sure that you are out there. You're asking all of the questions, and you are measured in all of your responses. I came on the radio today and said that the Cardinals have to make a trade. And it can't just be for a like back-end starter. It can't be for a J-App. It can't be for a John Lester. Those guys were perfect for what they needed a year ago. This team looks like a playoff contender. They've got the lineup of what you would expect from a legit contender. The front... the. Four of the five pieces of the rotation when Steven Matz gets back, I feel pretty good about, all things considered. Their bullpen, when those guys are healthy, the pieces all kind of fit into place. They're missing a top three starter, and I was hopeful that Jack could be that guy. I have a really hard time, and I don't know what the medicals are. They would certainly have a better idea about this than I do, but... I. I have a hard time believing that he's just going to be back and there, like there's not going to be any more hiccups as we go forward here. Do you yeah, think, think that it is reasonable to have that opinion? I think it is reasonable. Again, I don't want to speculate or write anyone off or like off of an injury. I like to wait for the full, I don't know, the full diagnosis. But I certainly understand as we approach July, as we approach the trade deadline, the need, because you're right, the Cardinals do look like a playoff team. They have the lineup. They have the depth. They have the manager that I think has used what he's had pretty much to its full extent. I know the Cardinals just played a pretty disappointing week of baseball. You can take that serious foot with Milwaukee at face value. Those are four pretty tight-knit games that came down to bullpen execution, which the Cardinals had struggled really coming into Milwaukee doing. 
I thought, put together a much better performance. I don't know what happened against Chicago. I don't know what happened yesterday. Probably one of their worst losses of the season. It's a new week, though. I don't think we can discredit the Cardinals for one poor week over the gist of a 10-11 week season so far. They are a postseason team. And if they meant what they said about being 2022 being their year of contention, if they find themselves without that third ace-quality pitcher, because I'm going out there and I'm saying Miles Michaelis, ace-quality pitcher, Adam Wainwright, ace-quality pitcher, they need a third. They planned for Jack to be that guy all along in the second half. If they suddenly find themselves missing that guy, they have to replace it. Otherwise, everything they've been building – in 2022, whether it's their farm system, the trades that they've made, their player development, that all ultimately comes to a wash. So despite Tanner saying that we're all doom and gloom, Katie, I did feel like there were a couple of positives that come out of the weekend. And one of those for me was Yvonne Herrera um, back to back games where he not only picked up a big RBI, the game winning RBI, but he also picked up a couple of hits and defense I thought was very good for the Cardinals. What did you make of uh, Yvonne Herrera's uh, games over the weekend? I thought Herrera made a, a big jump over the weekend. I was pretty impressed, and I think the organization was, too, on his ability to slow the game down, to call the game. Um, of course, you, you want to see him come up big on that game Saturday, which he did. Then on Sunday, collects his first career hit. Those milestones are important, but I think what's even more important is the consistency in which he's learning, his conviction in, in pulling things off. There's one play that I want to mention on that Thursday game in Milwaukee. I know this is before the Cubs series, but he goes out there, gets an absolute laser from Lars Nupar in right field at home plate and Deeks of all people established veteran Andrew McCutcheon and on a play that he saw on Instagram. Uh, do you guys know what play I'm talking about there? Yeah. Saves a run on Nupar, right. And he's been in the big leagues for what, a week combined? And he's deking someone like Andrew McCutcheon? These are all great signs. You know, I know the Cardinals have been searching for some offensive production from their catcher spot. Andrew Kisner's been searching a lot. I think if Herrera continues to put together some growth and, I mean, the, the pitch framing, the blocking that caught stealing on Sunday, those are all good signs that they've, he's been improving over the last year or so down in the minors. I think if he continues to compile that and showcase that, he'll get a consideration for more playing time. Katie Wu is our guest for just another minute or two here on 101 ESPN. Find her work over at The Athletic. You should be subscribing if you're not already. Also follow her on Twitter. She is at Katie J. Wu. Katie, while we're on the conversation of the catching situation, can you explain to us what's going on with Yachty? So Yachty's back in Puerto Rico right now on the rest and recovery mode. He's with family, the organization, and Yachty both felt like it was important for him to be around family at this time. He's not been cleared to resume any baseball activity. He's still resting those knees. There was a point, you guys, where Yadier Molina was, was receiving multiple cortisone shots in that knee per week. Nothing was helping. He was searching. I mean, you could see him at the play. He just wasn't comfortable. Everything was painful. So the Cardinals, of course, would like Yadi to finish 2022 in shape. So would he. And they're willing to kind of maybe sacrifice the middle part of their season so he can rest, recover. They hope by maybe early next week they can reevaluate and give him a timetable to revamp into baseball activity. But right now, because they're going to need Yadi Armelin in September, just like they're going to need a third starter, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that they're going to rest him now and their hope is maybe around, although there's no definitive timetable, this is a very fluid situation, maybe around the all-star break they can consider having Yachty back or maybe right after. But right now, rest and recovery is the main prerogative. He can be ramped up for baseball activity all he wants, but if he's still in significant pain, it doesn't do him or the team any good. So it does seem to be a little bit of a wait-and-see situation, but 
all in all, I think the team is comfortable with where he is in Puerto Rico. Being, it's hard, you guys. It's hard to be away from your family. He's been doing this for, I don't know, two decades now. So they're hoping that he can get into a better spot physically, being around his family, and hopefully by next week can start ramping himself into some activity. We'll get you out of here on this one, Katie. I, I saw a quote over the weekend. I think it came from Ollie Marmol talking about the rotation. And this was, of course, prior to yesterday's game when Jack ended up coming out after two innings. But he was talking about what happens when Steven Matz is able to return. And he basically said, like, hey, I, I think Andre Pallante has pitched really well. And I'm not so sure that it it's a guarantee that he's going to be the one that comes out of the rotation if and when that happens. Do you think Dakota Hudson, prior to yesterday, was potentially pitching for his spot in the rotation when Steven Matz comes back. Yes, I did. Again, prior to yesterday. The thing about Dakota Hudson that I find so perplexing is that it's a different issue every start, but the stat line is the same. So it could be, okay, he's not going to first pitch strikes one, one day, or okay, he's a too many three ball counts one day. As the same line, to his credit, the, the earned runs are usually pretty low. He has a pretty considerable ERA, but it's the walk. It's the pace. It's the way in which he has to grind through an outing each time, where it's been a little bit perplexing because you certainly want more stability and more durability from a starting pitcher. So I did think that before Jack left, and again, there is no clarity. We're still waiting on that to see how long he's going to miss that Dakota Hudson was pitching for his spot on the rotation. Now I think that uh, Cardinals are once again in a very familiar spot. I felt like I've been saying this since I joined the beat of needing to, I don't know, cushion the rotation again. So definitely I think Dakota Hudson something to watch on Tuesday. There should be some really good pitching matchups against the Marlins. I know the Marlins record isn't great, but their rotation I think is one of the, the best up and coming. And of course, Cardinals fans are quite familiar with who's starting for them on Wednesday. Um, I, I think we've had enough. Uh, moaning and groaning today, so I won't even mention it. Um, <laughs> but it should be, all things considered, a really interesting series and a series the Cardinals really need to win. Yeah, the Cardinals get some good pitching over the next six days with Lopez and Alcantara and my guy Gibby, Wheeler. There's some really good starters going up against him, and that's been an issue for the offense all year and long. And, Katie, unlike what Tanner said earlier in the show once again, I'm still believing Dakota Hudson's <laughs> going to be an ace at some point, so I'm not pessimistic there. He sticks by I his love guy. the positivity, you guys. Just this ray of sunshine on this Monday. Katie, you're the best. We'll talk with you whenever we get down to the ballpark later on today. Oh, nice. Didn't know you were going to be there, and I'm in a much better mood. See how, <laughs> see how optimism works, you guys? <laughs> it's great. We'll see you in a couple hours. That's Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She joins us each and every Monday throughout the Cardinals season here on BK and Ferrario. Check her out on Twitter. She's at Katie J. Wu, and be sure to follow all of her fantastic work. She's one of the best in the business over at The Athletic. I was thinking about something during that conversation that I want to discuss with you on the other side, Alex. We'll get to that in 65780 is your comfort service text line. Questions and answers on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the error comfort service text line for questions and answers. As we were talking to Katie Woon, if you missed any of that conversation, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All I could think to myself is going back to the 11 o'clock segment where we were wondering, 
Who are the trade ships? Because Katie seems to agree. The Cardinals need to acquire that third front-end starter to really bolster what they currently have in the rotation. Guys, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think their best trade ship right now might be Tyler O'Neill. I don't want to deal him. I think this team is better with Tyler O'Neill on it. I think he provides the defense and the offense that makes you the best version of yourself. But Brendan Donovan's okay in the outfield. He's not great, but he's okay out there. He mo- he makes most of the plays. In the words of Ollie Marmel, he catches the ball and he throws the ball pretty well. That's all you need. And he's been a really good hitter for you. I was reading an article earlier today over on Fangraphs about his approach, and it's super impressive. It's really high level. I think that the best case scenario for the Cardinals might be that somebody wants Tyler O'Neill, and that is the chip that can kind of put them over the top to land a Frankie Montes or somebody of that ilk. That might be the one that they've got to move on. Maybe. I, I, I wonder if injuries are a concern for the team because... Every season, he seems to have multiple injuries. And I mean, if you're a team like Oakland, yeah, you'd probably acquire him and use him up until you got, what, three years of control before he becomes a free agent. I think it's two years left. So I I just I I think I'm not sure it works for Oakland, but maybe a team that's a little closer. But like, that's the thing. I, I just don't know. Like maybe Miami looks at it, but I don't think you're still getting Pablo Lopez for a guy like Tyler O'Neill. So I don't know if he's going to get you the most when it comes to a trade piece. I'm sure he'd get you something, but I don't know if he gets you the most of what you're looking for. I'm glad you brought up Miami because Miami's reportedly looking for outfield help. And and now they're looking more at center field because they were in on the Starling Marte market. And I think they're still hoping to find a center fielder. But if they view that Tyler O'Neill could shift over and play center field and I mean, you look at the five tools that he brings to a ball club. Yeah, he he potentially could be one of those trade pieces for the Cardinals. It just comes down to how much defense are you willing to sacrifice? Because unlike when they made the move for yeah. uh, sending Paul DeYoung down to the minors and Tommy Edmond shifted over. Tommy Edmond, we, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Alex. He's been, I think he's been the best defender so far this year at shortstop. I don't know if you could say that about Brendan Donovan going out in left field. I think I do think you take a significant step down, and it's not like they go to being awful in left field, but you do take a significant step down going to Brendan Donovan. And then how much of it do you truly believe of this is what Brendan Donovan is going to be over the next, say, what is it, three years that Tyler O'Neill's in our contract? Can Brendan Donovan be this player for the next three years? If you view this as just kind of the one-off for Brendan Donovan, you can't make the move for sending Tyler O'Neill out. I think next year you might have... I mean, maybe it's by mid-season. Maybe it's around the same time that you saw this year. But I think around this time next year, we could be watching Jordan Walker in the big leagues. And he could be your next answer in left field. Maybe. So maybe you only need a year of Brendan Donovan to be this guy. Can he be? Probably not. He's not going to be a 340 hitter. Like he's his batting average on balls in play right now is is outlandishly high. He has been seeing some good luck, good fortune coming his way. Now he's created some of that luck, but that's part of the conversation there for sure. Um, but between him and maybe Alec Burleson gets an opportunity out there as well. I know the Cardinals view him more as a DH than an outfielder, but I think you have internal options there more so than you would if you decided to move somebody else. I don't think you're moving a Nolan Gorman. I don't think you're moving a Walker or a Win or a Herrera. I think those guys are all mostly off limits. So it, it might be a guy like if you're trying to make this big move that we're talking about, it might have to be a Tyler O'Neill potentially. Uh, that would be in play. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers uh, from the 314. Guys, do you think that Paul DeYoung has played his last game in a Cardinals uniform? 
I think in a Cardinals uniform, yes. I mean, he might be in a minor league uniform for the Cardinals the rest of this season and then traded in the offseason, but I don't think he sees another game at the big league level this year with the Cardinals. I'm going to say no. I, I think you'll see him back up at some point. Now, where that is, the Cardinals don't seem reluctant to move on from Edmundo Sosa yet, which, honestly, I can't <laughs> name what his role is besides being a pinch runner. I don't think he can name his role. Yeah, so I I think there is a roster spot for Paul DeYoung. It just is a matter of do they view him as he has to be up here and he has to be a starter? Because, honestly, if that's the case, then no, he won't ever appear in a Cardinals uniform again. He has lost that job. But if they view him as a guy that could come up and be a bench bat, yeah, I think you could see him sometime this year. I, I don't fully understand Edmundo Sosa's role on this team. He's not providing a whole lot of value by being a pinch runner. Uh, so I think there's a chance that you could see him as a guy that could be called up at some point. Maybe it's not until September when rosters expand that comes up to be a bench bat. I, I just don't see, one, a market for him, and two, I think there it could still be a spot for Paul DeYoung on this team. I'm kind of with both of you guys. I, I think he will play at some point for the Cardinals, but I don't know what the role is going to be. I think it's going to be pretty minimal. In terms of what he actually provides for, I think it's a bench bet. I think when you when you have a guy that you think is a good matchup for Paul DeYoung, maybe it's late in a game. We've seen them do this a little bit lately where you've got one of the catchers coming up to the plate and you use Paul DeYoung in that spot instead. That's the kind of role that I think you're going to see from him. And honestly, that might be all you need out of him. And maybe he has a big hit for you in the playoffs. And that's what he's remembered for as a Cardinal. I also think he might be a trade chip, like a team such as Oakland. He was a guy that does make some sense for them. Buy low on him. He's not a ton of money right now. I mean, they have zero money that is actually allocated to future years. Maybe they buy low on him and see if they can flip him by the deadline of next year when a team might need a, a shortstop and maybe he has a rebound year in Oakland. That's possible. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we're going to play a game of in or out. 65780 is your comfort service text line to get involved. But coming up next, the big issue from the Cardinals this weekend was actually not the pitching side of things. We'll tell you what it was next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The biggest issue from the weekend for the Cardinals was actually not the pitching, surprisingly enough. It was the hitting side of things. And this is what made the weekend all the more frustrating, Alex. I think you can make a pretty strong argument. That was the most disappointing and disheartening weekend of Cardinals baseball so far this year. And the reason why is because you should have beat the hell out of the Cubs. That is not a good team that you played against this weekend. And they made you look bad for much of the weekend. The Cubs came in losing 14 of their last 17 games. Kyle Hendricks, who looks like Cy Young every time that he comes out on the mound against the Cardinals, had a 5.4 ERA coming into Friday. He then threw seven and a third innings of scoreless ball against the Cardinals, as he does every time that he plays against the Cardinals. He's now 13-1 and against them since 2016. And so your offense looked awful there. Yesterday, you get the five runs, that's great, but then the offense goes completely silent. And then on Saturday, you barely were able to, to give yourself enough coverage to be able to win with Miles Michaelis out there on the mound. It was a disappointing weekend for the offense, and you look at what happened. It's the runners in scoring position again. And Alex, I don't get this because... On the whole, uh, on the entirety of the season, the Cardinals are top 10 in Major League Baseball with runners in scoring position. They've been very good for the most part in those spots. But lately, they're, they're having a lot more struggles in those situations. 
over the weekend, you look at it with runners in scoring position or with runners on the Cardinals hit 210 with a 280 on base percentage. They basically did not slug at any point over the course of the weekend with runners in scoring position. Paul Goldschmidt 0 for 2 with a walk. Harrison Bader 0 for 2. Juan Yepes 0 for 3. Lars Newbar 0 for 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. Nolan Gorman 0 for 3. You just didn't get enough productivity when those guys were in scoring position, and that's how you end up leaving the weekend saying to yourself, how did that happen? How, how did our offense mostly go silent against a really bad Cubs pitching staff? Tanner gave us the numbers earlier. They came into the weekend, what, 30th in Major League Baseball in the month of June in ERA? Yeah. I, I just don't understand it. So for me, I knew that it was going to be a potentially tough weekend for you pitching-wise. You look at it, Cabrera get, goes on the IL with the COVID situation. You've got TJ McFarland already on the IL. We can argue about whether or not that's a big loss or not for them, but he's on the IL. You've had some usage issues there. Then Jack yesterday with the two innings. That was always a possibility. That's explainable. I can't explain the offensive struggles over the weekend. I mean, yes and no. I mean, you explain it by... Kyle Hendricks was Kyle Hendricks against the Cardinals. That's why they couldn't hit because for some reason, anytime Kyle Hendricks steps on the mound, he is the kryptonite to that offense. So that makes sense. You get Saturday's game where you don't get a whole lot of runs, but your pitching does the job. Miles Michael is on the mound for you. And then in this last one, I mean, in all reality, pitching hurt the team more than the offense hurt the team yesterday because five runs should be enough for you to win a game. But I mean, also when Jack goes down, it completely changes the outlook, the, the, the outlook for that game. When Jack gets hurt after two innings, you should have known that it was going to take quite a few runs for you to be able to win that one because of how your bullpen had been used and the understanding that, hey, we don't have Hennessy Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, or Ryan Helsley in this game. You're going to probably have to put up more runs than just what you get in this one big inning yeah, for him. Maybe that's an internal problem to where the, the, the team felt like, well, five runs was enough, and then it was from there. I mean, the issues come in, look no further than the 10th inning when you get the guy starting on second base, and then what happens? Absolutely. Boom, you get the strikeout, and then you get the, the nice play, and then you get the other strikeout to end the game. That's where the real problems come into play here, and I don't really know what happens in that circumstance. You know, The only thing that you look at there is these big moments for some reason players aren't coming up and then it goes into the boomer busts conversation where it's the home runs you got three home runs in the same inning but those were three of the five runs that you scored in that game so maybe is it just more reliant on the home run ball rather than the outliers that are brendan donovan's that are relying heavily on the line drive See, I, those are the questions i don't know the, the thing is they haven't this year and that, that's this is what's so frustrating to me and it, it's just an unexplainable situation for me, honestly, it's maybe the, the answer is like, that's just baseball. That's the, in the words of Mike Schilt. That's the way the baseball works. But this season, the Cardinals have been really good at not striking out. They're bottom five in terms of the lowest strikeout rate. So in a good way in Major League Baseball and strikeout rate so far this year, they are hitting for average on the season. They're top 10 in Major League Baseball and what they're doing for batting average. Their slugging percentage has actually been probably the weakest part of their offense thus far this year. So they're not selling out for that power the way that they have in some other recent years when I do think it was fair to be critical of their overall hitting approach. They did get robbed a couple of times, too, yesterday. Like, I mean, take that into consideration. Ian Happ with that nice play in left field. Nico that was Tur a really good play by Nico him. Nico Turner had a couple of really nice plays at shortstop, and one of those being in that 10th inning. So, I mean, I'm not sitting here trying to defend the offense because at the end of the day, runners in scoring position, yes, it's top 10, but that has been the biggest bugaboo on this team. But as T-Bone likes to say, sometimes you do have to tip your cap to them. And that, that play by Ian Happ in left field, 
I mean, there were there was at least Changed momentum of the game. Yeah, there was at least two runs scoring on that hit Definitely. right there, and, and Paul Goldschmidt was putting himself in scoring position. So, as much as I'm going to sound like a homer with that answer, yesterday just felt like the worst case scenario for everything. You score five runs, you lose your pitcher, your bullpen's not ready for that, and then your offense gets robbed multiple times by Chicago. Friday was the game that frustrated the hell out of me. But that's Kyle Hendricks, man. He does it every Kyle time. Kyle Hendricks stinks this year, man. He's been terrible. Not against the Cardinals. This I, is like the Bud Norris effect against the Cardinals. Every time the man steps on the mound, he pitches a no-hitter. You're right, and I don't understand it. Because against everybody else, he's been terrible. And, and so that's that's what's so frustrating to me. Is like it, If this was a guy that had just crazy wipeout stuff. He's got this slider from hell. He's throwing 97 and he commit can't he can't command anything. That's like anybody else other than the Cardinals. All right, you know what? I get it. Sometimes that happens. Like you just you went out there and the guy had crazy good stuff on that given day and for whatever reason, he was able to command it against you. Man, Kyle Hendricks he he looks like you're going up against a lesser version of Wayno. And against everybody else unlike Wayno, he gets rocked. They are just hitting the hell out of everything that he's offering up. And then against the Cardinals, he goes out there and just shoves every single time. And it's I, confidence I against it. the team, man. It's like how Nazem Kadri had himself the playoff series of all playoff series against the Blues, man. When you're confident, you're confident. And he's had that for the last seven years. And someone on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 texted in and said, We've all, you've all been talking about Madison Bumgarner for the Cardinals. Why not trade for Kyle Hendricks? Uh, because Kyle Hendricks against the Cincinnati Reds, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Milwaukee Brewers this season, all of those teams have a above 300 batting average against Kyle Oof. Hendricks. Against the Cardinals, they're hitting like 192 this season. Was this, in your guys' opinion, the most disappointing that you, disappointed that you've been after any series? Because for me... No, Baltimore was the most disappointed I've ever been. I, I mean, you, you, got, I, you heard on Friday, Tanner, what my expectations were going in. I was disappointed that the Cardinals were going into a series against the Cubs that felt like it had no real meaning because the Cubs were so bad that you should go in there. And the expectation should be that you win all three games against them or at a minimum, at a bare minimum, you take two out of three. And in those two games, you should have beat up on them pretty good. It was the opposite of that. The Cubs just looked like the better team for large portions of that series. And that's what was so disappointing to me. Yeah, I think it is the most disappointing series of the year. I think it's right there next to Baltimore because each one you can point to and pitching had a major effect. Remember, I think in that Baltimore series, Packy Notton got a start because they were dealing with injuries in the rotation. I think it might have been right around the time that Matt's went down originally. And again, this this series, I point to it as kind of that trickle-down effect with the pitching injuries. When Cabrera went down, you knew you were in for a tough ride in this series. Even though it is the Cubs, the Cubs, for some reason, kind of like Kyle Hendricks, just elevate their level when playing the Cardinals. So I, I think it was most disappointing series just because offensively you should perform a lot better though against the Cubs when they have the worst ERA I think their starters are I think it's 28th in ERA in June and the relievers are like 27th and it's combined to be the worst in in all of baseball this month you have to be able to come away and have a better offensive performance look I get it you score five runs you typically should win that game but again your starter did go down so you should know that Scoring five runs in just the first three innings probably isn't going to be enough. And they're and whoever I can't remember who it was that came out of the bullpen yesterday. He came in and he just shut down the offense right away. Is it a Oviedo? Uh, it was Sw- Swarmer. Oh, Swarmer yeah, was the one right. that came in and he was dominant for the Cubs. He's not a guy that should be taking the card. He's a five point three three ERA. He should not throw two and a third innings pitch, strike out four, and not allow a hit and no runs. That's the guy that the Cardinals still should be able to attack and make sure that they can capitalize on that bullpen because if you can get to Alec Mills in two and two thirds, the rest of that bullpen is not a 
thing that's going to put fear into the Cardinals' eyes. Offensively, they just did not show up this weekend, and I agree. That's ultimately what ended up costing them, whether it was with runners in scoring position or just as a whole. The offense just did not perform well enough this weekend. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up here quickly before we get to a game of in or out, 65780 is the air cover service text line to get involved. In the month of June, this is not what June was last year, not, not by any stretch, not even close. The Cardinals are now the definition of average. They are 13-13 and 13 in this month. Their offense is 12th in batting average, 11th in on-base percentage, 11th in slugging percentage, so right around the middle of the pack and everything. Your starting pitching is 12th in ERA so far this month, and your relief pitchers are 13th in ERA so far this month. So in every statistical category, offensively and defensively, run prevention, however you want to look at it, you are top 12, top 13 in Major League Baseball. You went up against some relatively poor opponents, and in the last six series in which you've played, you have lost the final game of said series. What happened? This was supposed to be the month that you were able to make some sort of gains on the Brewers, and right now you come into Monday at the end of the month, and guys, the Brewers are still ahead in the Central Division, despite the fact that they've been without Peralta and was Woodruff mm-hmm. over the last like two weeks. And now they're about to get Woodruff back. And they just went through the meat of their schedule where they're about to open things up with some poor opponents coming up. How come the Cardinals weren't able to take advantage of this? I know you're saying this isn't June compared to last year, and it's not because they were awful in June last year. But could July be June from last year? Because they got a lot of tough opponents coming up and going to be without Flaherty with what could potentially be two weeks you're not sure about what Matt's is going to look like. Your bullpen's already taxed. Could July be June? I don't think it'll. I, I mean, June was historic for a reason because it just it, it almost never happens. But could it be something where you like fall back in the standings? Sure, and that's because why over, I think you got to be aggressive over the next two weeks. You've got Miami, where you I understand Miami's not good, but they have their two big guys going, Lopez and Alcantara in this series. Then you've got seven against Philly, four against Atlanta, and three against the Dodgers. In the meantime, while you are going up against those opponents on your schedule, Milwaukee on their schedule, and I know it's kind of schedule math and sometimes this can run away from you, but they've got two against Tampa and then four against Pittsburgh, three against Chicago, three more against Pittsburgh, couple against the Twins. I want that schedule. Their schedule opens up for them a little bit here. So could this be where they expand their lead? Sure. If the Cardinals don't take care of business, it absolutely could. I, I don't think the Cardinals go through a quote what you're talking about where they could have that happening this year in July because they have another workhorse in that rotation in Michaelis that'll help settle things down. Palante's been good in the rotation. Hudson's a big wild card, but they're going to get Matts back. I think Matts will be back probably within two weeks. That's my guess. That's just speculation. But what Matts are they rehab. getting back? Uh, and also that's the All Star break. Back. Yeah, but my in two weeks. Yeah. Okay. Well. Never mind that part then. <laughs> I thought I thought this All-Star break was three weeks away. July 17th to help the team. is the final day before but, the All-Star break. But they should have Hicks back here shortly. It sounds I was a little I thought they may even rush Hicks back today and said they're gonna select a contract of somebody out of Memphis. I think they instead. learned their lesson from rushing yeah. pitchers back. <laughs> yeah, so they're not gonna do that. I, I think they will be fine. I will they potentially suffer a month where they go again round five hundred, potentially, and that sounds like the kind of month that Milwaukee could run away with not run yeah. away with, but they could take some strides into getting a lead hanging in the All-Star break. I don't think they suffer through June. I would be shocked if they go below 500 in the month of July and if they go below 500 in that stretch before the all-star break that's when they really need to be aggressive at the trade deadline with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes is there any reason 
for the Blues to really explore this free agent defenseman market. The Athletic put out their projections of who the top end talents are, who the strong supporting players are, and who the useful depth pieces are that are going to be defensemen on the unrestricted free agency market this offseason. I think it spells exactly what the plan should be for the Blues. We'll get into that at 1230. In or out coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. It's good to be back, boys. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line to get involved for in or out. Let's start out with this one. The news that we were just talking about off air, in or out, Kyrie Irving will be on the Los Angeles Lakers at the start of the 2022 season. In. You know what's going to happen. He's doing everything possible to get there. He's disgusted with the Brooklyn Nets for whatever reason. The only place that makes sense for him because he can't win anywhere else other than with LeBron, which I find very ironic because he left LeBron because he wanted to uh, win without him. So, yeah, I'm in on this. Yeah, I'm in on this as well. Question we, is, what do they do with Westbrook? Yeah, that I don't know what you well, do he'll with He'll be the mid-level exception. So Westbrook's probably your sixth man in this scenario. For $43 million? No, he's going to. Uh, so the report is that he's likely going to opt out of his contract. Irving he's, is. Yes. And take oh. a thirty million dollar pay cut for this upcoming season, where he will make six to seven million dollars to play for the Lakers. And he, the way that it works with the ex- exceptions, it's all CBA nonsense. But basically, he's a free player for them on the cap. They can get away with having him on the roster as an exemption. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Yikes. this. This sounds like what kind, and it continues to grow just today. I, I do think he's going to opt out because the Nets, according to reports, cannot. They will. They told him to seek permission on going elsewhere or sign and trade, and the only team interested is the Lakers, and that's basically went, eh, eh, there's nothing good there that we want. So, yeah, I think he opts out, signs a $6 million exemption, goes and plays in L.A., and, like, honestly, had the Lakers not missed the playoffs where everybody gets in still, uh, I, I think that the Lakers... I'm with your buddy Lakers, this format oh, so much. So I'm with you, buddy. I, I don't think Kyrie would be a Laker because I don't think LeBron would want to deal with him again, especially after, as Alex mentioned, they had their like little breakup where Kyrie said, it's not you, it's me, and now he wants to come back. Uh, so the fact that the Lakers missed the playoffs, I think it allows them to be more willing to take on Kyrie. So yeah, I think it happens. I'm in. It's like I've always said, Kyrie Irving is a winning basketball player, and he understands what it takes to have a winning culture. You got to be Le- around LeBron James. That's the guy. You got to be around LeBron and then suddenly Kyrie Irving looks a whole lot better. You're right. LeBron won and got into the playoffs because everyone gets into the he playoffs. Was hurt in the last NBA. Year, it was totally different. Um, Kyrie Irving. Stephen A always says Kyrie Irving is box office. When he plays, he is special. The problem is the man doesn't play a whole lot of basketball games, but when he's on the court, God, is that guy talented? If he does end up on the Lakers next year, and this is another big if, this is like the ifs about Jack Flaherty coming into the season. If he's healthy and playing regularly, maybe it's 50 games for the Lakers next year, and then he's available for the playoffs. The Lakers could absolutely be a legitimate NBA Finals contender next year with him and LeBron and AD going into next season. That's a a legit contender. I've heard a lot of people talk about AD this coming season. I'll tell you, he's the one I'm most fascinated in because of the Rasheed Wallace hire. 
I've heard so many people comp the fact that Rasheed Wallace is now an assistant coach for the Lakers is going to change the career of Anthony Davis. I hope so. I'd love to see He's that. He's got all the talent in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, we've seen it. It's just staying it healthy. In the playoffs during the bubble where he just he dominated. He was the best player on that team, and I'm a LeBron guy. He was the most dominant piece of that team that won the finals. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Blues will make their first round selection in the draft this year. I'm going to say out on this one. Um, we've heard, I forgot who told us this, but we've heard that this year's draft is not as deep in terms of talent as next year's draft. Like apparently next year's draft is loaded in the NHL. That was the whole thing at the deadline. The deadline right? People yeah. wanted 2023 picks instead of 2022 uh, picks. Uh, the blues. And this was in the athletic article talking about what the necessity is for the blues at this draft. And they've talked about defense defensemen. When you draft them, sometimes they take a lot longer unless they're drew Doughty's or Victor Hedman's or Petrangelo's at the top of the draft. And I know the blues don't have a second round pick. I could see them trading this first round pick and then still selecting depth in the draft third through sixth round and then use the first round pick that they've got next year to, to bulk up here. So I think they're going to trade this one to get either uh, the Jacob Chickrens or the Matthew Kachucks if that trades out there for him. Yeah, I, I, I'm out on them making a selection with this pick. I do I do think they will part with this pick, and Alex brought up the good point of it being next year's draft is what everybody's looking at as being a lot deeper. I, I, I think the Blues will move this pick, and I think they are going to go big. I think it will be someone of the Jacob Chickren. Now, if the Chickren deal can't come by the time that we get to draft day, then yeah, I could easily see the Blues just holding on to that pick. They're not going to make a move uh, with it. Otherwise, in my opinion, it has to be done basically on, before draft day starts, in my in my opinion. Otherwise, they will hold on to that pick and make that selection and just keep that player in the system. But I'm out on this. I do think they go and acquire somebody with that pick. I think I'm in. I think they do end up making a pick this year. I think if they trade a pick, it'll be next year's because of what Alex said, that that one has a little bit more value. I also think it would be helpful for the Blues to be able to get another defenseman into the system. There's some good ones. more of a high end. According to these mock drafts, there's been some good names that could be available where they select this year if they decide to. If they do end up making a deal for a Chikrin, for example, they have to include a Bull Duke in that that trade. Maybe they want to get another high end Mm -hmm. guy that can essentially not replace what Bull Duke was in the system, but be another high level performer for them in the, in the system. The question just really becomes, does a high level prospect drop in the draft to that number because of injury or whatever it might be? And do the blues deem that player, somebody who can help in the few years coming, or does Bill Armstrong view it as, Hey, this guy could be helpful for us in five years. Like, it comes down Do you to think a chicken trade would get done to that point on draft night or prior to I think draft it would get night. done on draft it, oh, a lot of those I mean the Braden Shen thing like the conversations start but it doesn't happen until you get closer to that pick when teams see who's available because if a guy is gone that Bill Armstrong really wants at 23 or 26 wherever the Blues select well then they're not going to make the trade but if there's a guy that's dropped to 20 and they're like oh damn we could get this guy that's when they'll pull the trigger on it 65780 is the air comfort service tax line guys in or out a cardinal will win national league rookie of the year this year i'm gonna play against the odds here and i'm gonna say i'm in on this between brendan donovan and nolan gorman and juan yapez somebody out of those three is going to win it this year. By the way, nobody brings him up, but Juan Yapez? Palante should be included oh, in this discussion. Yeah. He doesn't have odds right now. Like Andre Palante, if you look at wins above replacement, if you look at the value that he's brought to your rotation, he's he probably should be a part of this conversation too. 
especially if he stays in the rotation. Absolutely. So far this year, he's he's seventh in a war on the team. I mean, that's pretty darn good. He's, he's got a 2.0 ERA on the season. You look at the end of the year, if he's thrown, maybe it's 150 innings as a rookie, and he's got a sub three or a sub three five ERA, I think people will look fondly at that. Now, I think Gorman and Donovan both have better odds to win it. But um, I, by the way, I'm, I'm in with Alex. I think a Cardinal will win it. The Cardinal should win it. I'm in. I think a Cardinal will win. I think a Cardinal should win it. The only fear I have is the only guy that I think probably has a shot and he's going to have to play well the rest of the year is Gorman because he's the big, sexy name. He was a top 100 prospect in all of baseball. I think he was like top 30 coming into the year, if I'm not mistaken. The other guys, Brendan Donovan is more of like, to me, I brought him up last year saying a guy that could be a complimentary piece to the team. Till national media, it's more of like, oh, look, another diamond in the rough. It's not the big, sexy name like you've got uh, – What's his name? Is it Gore out in San Diego, the pitcher, yeah. uh, who was another top 100 prospect? If a Cardinal's going to win, it probably has to be Nolan Gorman, in my opinion, just because it's a name that a lot of national people are going to recognize and be like, oh, that's a top 100 prospect. Played well. Yeah, that's rookie of the year. Donovan, Palante, and Yepes have probably long shots, in my opinion. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The junk drawer is coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, speaking of the Blues' offseason moves and their defensemen questions, Is it worth going into this free agency market? The Athletic ranked who is on the market and what kind of talent they would bring to their new team. I think it tells you everything you need to know. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ten minutes. We've got your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Leopard, excuse me, Poison, and Joan Jet and the Blackhearts coming up on July fifth at Bush Stadium. So stay tuned for the next ten minutes or so to win your pair of tickets. Coming up right now, though, we got to tell you about the off season and what the Athletic, their free agency defenseman projections, can tell us about the Blues. Because Alex. As I was looking through, they posted all of this right after the Stanley Cup final uh, came to an end. They put up their rankings and they separated them into different tiers of talent. The number one ranking was top end talent. The only defenseman on that list was Chris Letang. They had the next tier. Tier two was strong support players. John Klingberg and Alex Edler were the only defensemen in that group. Then you get to the third tier, which is the quote unquote useful depth category. <laughs> And they had like 20 different defensemen that fit into that criteria, including Ian Cole, Nikita Zadorov, my guy, Oli Mata, a whole bunch of guys that are basically what you have currently. You can label this free agency defensive category as all helpful depth pieces. If that's what they are, is there really any need to go to the market to get one of those guys? Like, I, If the Blues sign Nikita Zadorov, I will understand the rationale for doing so. See, I won't. You're going to have to overpay for him. You're going to have to overpay for a depth piece. At best, is a second-pair defenseman for you. If he signs for $3 million. $3 million for three years. How many? Maybe it's four. So somewhere in that range. I, see, I, th- I think it's going to be more than that. But if that if that hypothetically was what happened, then I wouldn't be upset about that. But I don't think it fixes the problem. I don't think you've got the guy that plays in your top four. I think at best, he's a second-pair defenseman. And that's the problem with this draft. Chris Letang would look great for the Blues. But you know what? He plays the right side, and I don't really think he matches what they're looking for right now. 
John Klingberg. I love John Klingberg. He's awesome with Dallas. Also a right-handed defenseman, overpaying probably 7 or $8 million to get this guy, and I don't think he fixes the issue for you. And then beyond that, you've got a lot of guys that you're probably going to have to overpay for that at best could play second pair, third pair minutes. And I just don't see the point of going out there and doing that because for me, if I'm going to go do that, I'd rather spend the money that I'm going to have to overpay for a defenseman and go add more depth to my offense. We just saw what depth on offense can do for a team like Colorado and run it back with the same defenseman because a healthy Tory Krug and a consistently healthy Marco Scandella and Scott Pernovich, those three are better than anything you're going to add on the free agent market. You know what? That's a really interesting way to look at it. Like if I told you for the same contracts, maybe it's a four by four type of deal, right? $4 million per year for a four year contract. Would you rather have one of those middle six forwards that are going to be potentially available this offseason? You're looking at the Frank Vitrano was one of those Andre guys Pallott. that we mentioned. Pilat, uh, Andrew Kopp, I think will be paid more, be more than that, yeah. but maybe it's like a $5 million ish deal somewhere around that range, right? That's the kind of deal that you're looking at for these defensemen that are quote unquote upper tier based on this market versus the middle six forwards. I think I'm with you. I think I would rather have one of those middle six forwards. Now, you don't have to spend that money. You're not required to go out and use it. But if I was going to, if you said, hey, you've got to, you got to use this money and you've got to spend it on either one of those forwards or the defenseman, I think I would probably lean more to the forward side of things because I feel more confident that they will be a significant contributor over the life of the contracts than I do with any of these defensemen. My worry is you're basically signing Marco Scandella 2.0. Yep. And it's a different name. It's a different face. They might go about it a little differently, and maybe their warts are different than what you currently have with Marco. But with Scandella, we saw at times this year, he was okay. He's not the answer to what plagues your left-handed defenseman, but he could be a part of what helps to solve that problem. And maybe Mikula could be that guy as well. Are we sure that Nico Mikula is going to be worse this year to a significant degree Compared to some of these guys that we're now talking about as three or four million dollar defensemen on multi-year contracts, I'm not sure of that. And that's the thing. Like I heard you guys on Thursday talking about Nikita Zadorov and you know going after him and Matthew Kachuk, who was a great interview by the way with you and Jr. Uh, like I I hear the the Zadorov comps and I understand it, but guys, Nico Mikula plays like Nikita Zadorov. He's physical. He's big. He lays the hits down. He's fast. We've seen that. He's got offensive upside. And you know what? There's probably going to be two or three minutes in a game that you hate from him. Like, that is Zadorov. And you're going to get him for a million and a half, maybe $2 million after arbitration this year. Why pigeon toe that guy and put him on the third pair or leave him as an outsider when you could have him play for the league minimum and let him see if he flourishes as a top four defenseman? And if he doesn't, well, then that's more the reason to go out there and make a trade for something. But for me, after watching what took place in the playoffs with Colorado and with Tampa, it's pretty obvious that you need really good goaltending and you need depth on offense. That's how the league is formed right now. So if I'm going to go spend $4 million on a guy who's going to play 18 minutes and maybe take a lot of penalties and maybe be good, maybe not be good, I'd rather pay $4 million for a guy who could play on my third line and score 25 goals in a season like an Andre Pilat and just add to the depth of my offense. Welcome to the Pilat crew. Well, I'm not on the Pilat crew. I'm just, he's my reference there. Nick Paul, Nicholas Paul, uh, for better known, he's the guy that I would call prefer. ourselves the Pilat tease. That was horrible. Send it to break. 
You do a lot of Pilates, don't you, buddy? On the Peloton. What? I'm about to tease. He's, 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 still <laughs> la- he's still laughing at this one. Good God, man. So who's your best bet to win the 2023 Stanley Cup? <laughs> Just send it to break. No more teases, please. The Colorado Avalanche, no surprise, are the favorite right now. The odds for next year's cup That's went how it up always last goes. night. The, the Stanley Cup winner is always the Stanley Cup favorite the next year. Um, they're at 5-1. to one. They are the overwhelming favorite right now. Next up is the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course. Who could have seen that one coming at <laughs> 9-1? They're nine always to one. up there, then they lose in the first round. Then you got a big group of teams with the Panthers, Lightning, Vegas Golden Knights, and Carolina Hurricanes, all somewhere between 10 and 11-1 to one to win the Cup. And then you've got another group of teams between like 18-25-1, to 25 to one, where it's the Calgary Flames, the Minnesota Wilds, uh, the Penguins, the Oilers, the Rangers, the Blues, the Boston Bruins, all in that 18-25-1 to 25 to one range. Alex Tanner? If you were to put a bet down today, without knowing, of course, what this offseason is going to look like, so you're you're placing a bet on a team without knowing what the team's actually going to be, who would you bet on right now as the best value bet to win the Cup next year? Boy, that's... I would say... I would say value bet, the Rangers or the Golden Knights. And I'm not saying that. I do think the Blues are going to be in that conversation, yeah. 18 to one. But going off of value, I love the Bruce Cassidy hired by Vegas. I think that could be a really good signing for them. Um, and I think the New York Rangers just got a taste of what they wanted in the playoffs. And then with Shesterkin, so those would be the two value bets I would place. Yeah, I, I like both of those. Another one for me could be uh, the Florida Panthers. I like them as a good value bet, too. Paul Maurice, great head coach yeah, that they true. brought in. It's a good one. Uh, I, I think he's the one to keep an eye on. I also like a team like the Edmonton Oilers or the Calgary Flames. I know that the Flames have such a big question mark around their offseason because of Goudreau and, of course, Matthew Kuchuk. But if you want to put bet on them, assuming that they get Johnny Goudreau, I could see them going all in once again in a final run with Matthew Kachuk and not looking to trade him. And the Oilers one I, I take because I think Connor McDavid, uh, he always makes them a player. And if they go out and they can just go get a goaltender, they have a fighting chance when it gets to playoff time. So those are probably the three that I would look at. I'm doubling down on my teams from this year. I'm going with the Blues and the Rangers. Those would be my two. The Rangers are 20-1 to 1 on FanDuel Sportsbook right now. The Blues are actually at 25-1. to 1. I know the other odds that we were looking at, Alex, were 18-1. to 1. If you're going to bet on them to win the Cup oh, next year. Oh, if it's 25-1, to 1, I would go Blues all the, the way. The place to do it is probably over on FanDuel because they're 25 to 1 right now to win the cup over there along with the Boston Bruins Uh, those are really good odds for for the Blues that's where they were at like midway through this season and we all kind of threw some money on them unfortunately that's probably why they didn't win the Stanley Cup Uh, but the the Rangers (laughs) and the Blues I think both have really good odds in terms of the value if you're just going for a team that I think has a really good shot to do it I mean you, you just can't go wrong with betting on the Lightning right now I know they're losing a ton of depth potentially this offseason to free agency. Well, and the thing but about, when you have Andre Vasilevsky in net, yeah. you're going to have a shot to be able to get there the in the end. The thing about the Lightning, and this is the hardest part when you do what they've done, win it twice, go to the final the third time, you get the exhaustion setting in for these players. And, I mean, somebody, I, I forgot, I think it was Ray Ferraro who was talking about it on the broadcast, or maybe it was Sean McDonough. But whoever said it, Vasilevsky in game after game two told John Cooper that he was exhausted. Now these guys are in such good shape. And I think a lot of it had to do with the altitude playing up there. But like when you three Pete go to the finals and lose that last one, man, the exhaustion has to set in, especially after playing two shortened seasons and then an 82 game schedule. So that's going to be the biggest hurdle for that team to get past now is how are they going to deal with that exhaustion in the shortened off season when you didn't 
get to celebrate. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, how does the current trade market look for the Cardinals? Who is out there? What should they be looking to acquire? We'll get into that coming up at 1 o'clock. Coming up next, though, we'll dive into the junk drawer and give you your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Segment, we will have your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts all coming up on July 5th at Bush Stadium. But right now, let's dive into the juncture. We were just talking about Tanner. It, he's very excited about the fact that July is a three paycheck month. So you get all three paychecks in one month like where you've got rent and all those yeah. expenses. Like it's going to go to your house. BK, I'm assuming we're we're putting in a new backsplash. Look at you. Upcoming weekend. Mine's going to a baby. My wife and I just did the Amazon uh, baby checklist last night. So uh, that's where that money's going to go. Did you do a sprinkle this time around? No, we didn't do a sprinkle this time. Like, I think the sprinkle is going to be Katie's mom and sister are taking her out for like a spot. Katie didn't really didn't want to do one. Okay. She was like, because we're having another girl. She's like, basically, we have everything that we need for other than a couple of things here and there. Well, Tanner, for me, it's a backsplash for Alex. it's, it's baby, baby stuff. I'm also going to Disney World next month. No surprise. Uh, with Kara's family. She's got her niece and Thanks nephew. Thanks for the invite, too, by us. the way. My, uh, my daughter would have loved to go into Disney World. But, you know, her dad can't afford it right now. So I appreciate, Moss, man. What appreciate you, you guys. Well, Keith likes me. We talked at your wedding. I'm sure Tanner I was there. has like a lot going World. on this upcoming month as well. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Well, you, you, maybe new car? Huh? Well, that, that might actually be necessary. That actually should be the way <laughs> I should go What are you doing it? with the extra money that you're a getting? A bigger TV? Month? I got a good TV that works. I don't need a bigger TV. 24 I'm gonna, inches. I'm going to get a new lamp. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here first. T-Bone's getting a new lamp. Boy, you spent... going to really light up the spent, bedroom. You spent... <laughs> Tanner's discretionary income over the last two months you spent money. has gone to an Ethernet cord and Which I'm really lamp. glad I got that. Why do you need a light up Tanner, the bedroom? how old are you? Do you do you live in the dark? <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's the dark. Though. I turn on the light and go, did I even turn on the light in this room? Tanner's going to be on MTV Cribs. You don't know about it. It was a good show when we were growing up. great show. Uh, I heard about room it. Raiders he's was better. Be on, agreed. It's going to be on MTV Cribs. And you say, this is where the magic happens. And it's just going to be black a black abyss. It's going to be a dim room with a closet. <laughs> and there's just no light going on. It's damp. There won't be after this like new this lamp. Cave. This is why your Tinder game is so poor. Because you invite them over. It's, and it's poor like, lighting. I know. check out the room. They're I know. like, I can't poor see lighting. anything. Yeah, but that's what, you know, it's a someone, needed upgrade. The lighting is going to be better. The Tinder game is going to pick up someone, after that. Someone said Tanner is by far the most responsible individual on the show. Thank well, you. I mean, that's true. But also, Tanner, lamp. how old are you? 22. What do you need you're, a lamp for? You're exciting. The lighting in my bedroom sucks. That's why I need a lamp. You're exciting expense oh, yeah. for the month of July. Uh, and I'm going to get some running shoes. But the lamp's number one. He's if not we going can't afford to the, the lake. If we can't afford He's the running shoes. He's not going out to nah. a new bar. Well, we know he spends money on beers every single night. That's True. why you, that's why you can only yesterday. afford a lamp He's once a month. He's getting a lamp. 
It's going to be good. You're going to be jealous. Not really, man. I've seen the pictures of your house. Your couch is essentially like four boxes with a I sheet over it. I tried to give him my, my couch for free, Turned and he said, ah, I got a better offer elsewhere. I said, really? I got another Damn, free man. couch from somebody else. Barnes. Yeah. Barnes. Yeah. That trader. Hey, he hey. went over to the country station and then outbid me on my free hey. couch that I was trying to give I'd, away. I'd take Barnes's couch over BK's couch any day of the week. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it, it's better, got a man. great snug spot now down by our rec room where we've got, we put in the uh, the oh, dirt. You've got a rec room, too. That's nifty. Yeah, dirt well, board. Is right that next to your Peloton? The, uh, Peloton. And it this is, damn actually. man over here is trying to buy a lamp. <laughs> yeah. I, got a jerk. Na- I got neighbors beneath me. I you're, don't have anything You're like a that. jerk, BK. Unbelievable. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. If you are texter number 101 and you can tell us what earlier today, last week, Katie Wu compared to the Cardinals bullpen to watching a lamp fall over and there's just nothing you can do about it. It's going to fall and it's going to look like it's in slow motion. I compared Jack Flaherty's most recent starts to something else. What was that comparison that I made? If you are texture number 101 at 65780, that's the Air Comfort Service text line, you are winning a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett on July 5th at Bush Stadium. Tickets are on sale now, coming this summer to Bush Stadium. We got to work on this copy. You can also Pour some find sugar a on me, bonus buddy. chance. I'll blame myself. I'm not throwing anybody else under the bus. That's on me. You can also find a bonus chance to win free tickets now at 101ESPN.com or on the free 101 ESPN app. We also have one more chance coming up in the one o'clock hour. <laughs> coming up next. Someone said classic beta male things. <laughs> Touche. How does the trade market look for the Cardinals? Jeff Passan had an update on that yesterday on ESPN radio. We'll let you hear it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. made it through two innings yesterday for the Cardinals and it put them on notice at least in our opinion two once two again two thirds man now nah, it's two innings to try to figure out what to do with their rotation. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Uh, the big question now is, can you actually count on Jack Flaherty to be healthy the rest of the season? My my personal belief is no. Now, we don't have the information that the Cardinals have. They they may believe genuinely that this is just it's a blip on the radar. You give him 15 days off, which basically means you give him off until the All-Star break, and then he's able to return after the All-Star break, makes a couple of starts, and then they make their decision on filling in for him at the trade deadline. I think it's more urgent than that. I think the Cardinals are in need at this point of a top three starter in their rotation that can slot in somewhere with Wayno and Michaelis. Here's what Jeff Passan had to say. He was on ESPN radio last night about the Cardinals and how the trade market sets up for teams like them looking for starting pitchers. The one thing we have to keep in mind is that if there is any position on this trade market, and it is a weak trade market, that's strong, it is starting pitching. Uh, you can go out and get Luis Castillo. You can go out and get Frankie Montas. You can go out and get Tyler Maley. The, the Phillies decide to be out of it. Kyle Gibson and Zach Eflin are added in there. So there are options to bolster your starting pitching if you want. And uh, the Cardinals are going to be in a dogfight with the Milwaukee Brewers and could really stand to get another starting pitcher if Flaherty is going to be out for any uh, considerable period of time. So if there is one thing that there is a surplus value of at the deadline, it's probably starting pitching. 
But Alex, all of those starting pitchers, we talked about this last year, they cost you something. You want to go out there and you want to get a Kyle Gibson last year at the deadline? It's going to cost you. You want to go out there this year, get yourself a Luis Castile, especially from a team that is within the same division as you? It's going to be costly. You're going to have to send them probably one of those top five prospects that you don't want to lose. And so as you're sitting here today with the Cardinals, what do you do? What do you do when it comes to your rotation trying to bolster it? I mean, I I think you have to be aggressive with this team. And especially, and I know some people push back and say, yeah, but you're only doing it for what part of a season. I don't think that's the way you look at it now. With Jack Flaherty's uncertainty last season and now this season, I think you're kind of viewing this as you don't know what he is next year. So if that's the case and you don't know with Adam Wainwright, although we all believe he's going to be back, so that means you got three guys for a rotation next season with the younger players that are also there. I think that makes it more of the reason to be aggressive so that you can find somebody that's got a little bit more control like John Mozeliak likes to acquire so that you know your rotation is locked in for the next couple of years. I think you have to be aggressive now rather than wait because the longer you go without the rotation in hand, you tax your bullpen. Other teams can already see how desperate you are because you've gone this stretch without pitching and don't know what your pitcher looks like. And then they're going to demand more from you. So I just, I think right now they might already be in that spot, but the longer you wait, the more desperate I think you become. And then it gets to the point where you're giving up something you don't really want to. Yeah. The only only problem I fear now though, is I agree with Alex is that they do need to be aggressive and see if they can get on the front end of this and maybe go and acquire a Frankie Montas. Problem is, is I feel like the A's are going to continue to have such an, high asking price even now that I'm not sure it's sustainable for the Cardinals to pull off that kind of a deal they almost have to wait until the deadline when things get to kind of crunch time and when the Oakland A's have to start making those decisions on okay who has the best package for us and that's where things become interesting for the Cardinals where we talked about do you have the assets to really pull off a move to go and acquire a top-end starter because I'm with you guys I think a top-end starter makes all the sense in the world the problem is there's probably only two or three that are maybe in consideration for the Cardinals because Luis Castillo is not because he's in the division. A Kyle Hendricks if you view him as a top-end starter on this market is not because he's in the division. Uh, it's going to be down to the Frankie Montas, Pablo Lopez, who I don't think will be moved, and then it also comes down to Mad Bum slash Merrill Kelly, Kelly of Arizona, and I don't know if you view those guys as difference makers. I think Merrill Kelly is. Again, that they've got him on such a good team-friendly contract, they may not even have to move him. So I think the Cardinals are going to be in a tough spot in which it comes to Frankie Montas or Buss, but even then it doesn't feel like a move that is Cardinals-y type, in my opinion, because that means you're really having to part with some really good high-end assets, and I don't know if that's a Cardinals move in season. We haven't seen that from John Mosellock in the front when office, When was the last really. time we saw that kind of a move from 2011 the would be my uh, the first one. But they didn't one that make a move out. like that in 2011. Not for a starting pitcher. Oh, I mean, for a starting pitcher? No, no, no I'm not even saying for a starting pitcher. I'm just saying an in-season Matt trade. Holiday. Matt Holiday. 2000 what? Nine? Nine? Had to yeah. be, I think it was I mean, nine. We're, we're talking about it's been more than a decade since the Cardinals have made that kind of an aggressive move in season. That's what Frankie Montes is. It it signifies them really going for it because they've made moves like John Lackey was a relatively significant move in season. Do you think would Mad Bum be the John Lackey of this off of this trade deadline? Like, is that the equivalent of what that was? Because I know. The difference, of course, is the money. Lackey had one more year left on his deal at that point in time. I think it was like $10 million the following season. It was super reasonable. And when he was traded to St. Louis, it was with the caveat of he's going to also pitch for you next year. He was pitching pretty well that season when they traded for him. Yeah, and and Lackey was really good here in St. Louis. He He was exactly what they needed at the deadline. 
I, I do wonder if maybe what we're looking at here is I think that's that was that'd be the exciting move for people because you go right to postseason success, but I don't know if it would have the same weight as John Lackey was because Lackey was pitching pretty well for Boston. I mean, Madison Bumgarner has pitched pretty well so far this has year he? for for the D backs. He as started well. he's, to he's got a three tail points. off a little bit. I know he's got a three seven five ERA. He's thrown about seventy five innings and fifteen starts for the Diamondbacks so far this year. Now, if you look at some of the peripheral stuff, the the more advanced numbers, they suggest that he's he's gotten a little lucky with some of those overall results, but. He's been mostly fine. The reason why you're acquiring Madison Baumgartner is because in his history, as you mentioned, Alex, he has dominated in the playoffs. He's just such an unbelievable playoff performer. And whether you believe there's something to that or if you think maybe that was just him catching lightning in a bottle, I don't know how you, how you want to look at that. But Yeah, that'd be tough. Unless Arizona's eating a lot of that money, that'd be tough for me to get excited about. They would definitely have to eat the money or to to take on for them to take on less money you don't give up anything. You don't give up a whole Give them lot. Paul DeYoung and say, done deal. And that's the thing is if, if you're the Cardinals acquiring a guy like Madbum, because there are so few teams that would actually be willing to take on the majority of his money, you become a team that is not bidding against as many other suitors, whereas Frankie Montes, almost any team in baseball could acquire him because he's not a significant salary and he's got one more year left on his deal. I, I mean, look, John Lester who was pitching awful for Washington, had success when he came over to St. Louis. So sometimes maybe it is just a change of scenery. And maybe Madison Bumgarner hasn't been able to live up to those expectations to the contract that was tied to him when he signed there. So maybe this is a way to kind of erase the slate and come to St. Louis. And with a defense behind him that is really good, maybe he is a little bit better. So uh, this is an acquisition that I think helps the team. I don't think there's any question that's the case. And you are adding somebody with legit playoff experience that is a benefit but I still think like my sights are higher than Madison Bumgarner, and that's kind of the safety net that you fall back to. But again, I don't know how long you can sit here and say that my sights are set higher because the longer you go, the harder it's going to be to make an acquisition for a top-end player. By the way, John Lackey was a league minimum deal yeah. the next year. That That's why it was such an impressive it, uh, contract for them to acquire. And if you well. just pluck and play, like let's say the year Lackey had with Boston when that trade occurred, let's say it was happening this year, but it was with Arizona, but he he was making Bumgarner money. I don't think the Cardinals make the deal. I, I I don't. I can't see the Cardinals acquiring Madison Bumgarner, no matter how much Arizona eats. I, I just don't think really? they want. Oh, I can I see them going I, after him if they are willing at to best, eat. I think Arizona's eating probably fifty percent of that contract. But that means you're That's still a on good deal, man. I mean, that, you're still on hold for what thirty million dollars of Mad Bum for over, over the three next three years. years. I, I can't That's see the really Cardinals bad, pulling man. off that move, especially because you got a guy like Adam Wainwright see, who's think, familiar with him, which is going to carry weight. The, the Mad Steel, him being under contract for another was it three years after this year at eleven million dollars. I mean, he's supposed to be yeah, but that goes into your version of Mad. But that's going into not knowing what next year looks like in your rotation. I mean, Jack Flaherty is just an uncertain right now. You don't know if Adam Wainwright's going to come back. You've got two, you've got three legit guys that are locked into a rotation spot for you next season. Guys, I think I'm convinced on Mad Bum. Like I, I was off of this all year long. I, I feel I like I'm was, settling for Mad I th- Bum. I think you're right. I think you absolutely are. But I, when you think about what it will take to acquire these guys, because Frankie Montes, you're probably going to have to give up. I mean. Because of what the A's are going to want, you're talking about a Gorman or a Liberator or Win or Walker. Can we discuss that real quick? Uh, I think I might be at the point now where Matthew Liberator is a legit trade piece. I think that he could be, but I also think you have to include more than just Liberator to get Frankie Montes. Like, you're talking about Liberator plus Yepes plus something. 
I, I don't know what that other piece would be. But is but, that the worst thing in the world? I mean, you've got a lot of guys now. I that think have, Yepes is my expected starter next year at DH going into the season. Yeah, but so with, it would but stink with, to lose. But that. with yes, but with Brennan Donovan and Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Gorman, and if you are correct in the fact that Jordan Walker could be pushing next year, Alec Burleson's here as well. Like you've got a lot of names that don't have a lot of playing positions. So is it really the worst thing in the world? Like I'm all for making sure you're not trading away talent that could turn into something at the big leagues. But is that the worst thing in the world if you're giving up a Matthew Libator who might have the stuff but doesn't have the ace stuff that you were expecting and a Juan Yepes who on a defensive reliable team isn't as reliable? I don't think that's to get a guy who could legit be a number two in your rotation for the next couple of years. It's a totally reasonable question of like, who are the guys that you cannot trade? Because for me, like you're not trading Gorman at this point in time, based on what we've seen so far, he's going to be your starting second baseman every day for the foreseeable future. You're not trading prospect wise. I don't think you're trading either win or Walker down to the minors. I think Herrera is still who they view to be their heir apparent at catcher. And so that brings you to the pitching side of things where are you willing to trade one of those guys that are at double A right now? They've both performed exceptionally well. Do those guys allow you to consider moving on from a Liberator? Uh, I, I think that it's, I would consider it and I would be open to it. I wonder how the A's view him. Yeah, that's and, the and that's part. part of this as well, is we just don't know how these other teams view the Cardinals prospects. So do the A's want better stuff than what Matthew Liberator offers? If they do, there's probably other teams that can give them a better fit for what they're looking for. But if they're okay with taking a guy that projects to be a really solid number three starter in the big leagues and has a ton of club control remaining for him, yeah, I, I think that could be the basis for what a package looks like for Frankie Montes. But if they say no, and this is where it gets really tough for the Cardinals and John Mozeliak, and I don't envy his position right now. If the A's say no, if the Marlins aren't moving on from their pitchers, if the Phillies are in this race as they are currently, man, it dries up pretty quick. As much as it is a good pitching market, most of them are within the division, and we just know that doesn't typically lead to deals getting done. And then we get back to the Madison Bumgarner conversation. I I think if the deals dry up with the A's and the Marlins, and if Merrill Kelly's not the guy that the Diamondbacks are looking to move, I think it's more likely they will move Mad Bum. I would than rather have Mad Bum Merrill than, Kelly. than Merrill Kelly. Oh, yeah, but, I would but too. But here's, here's what I'm going with. If that's the hypothetical situation, I think it's more likely the Cardinals would pivot and try and just load up a bullpen rather than go to the rotation. As opposed that's the, to getting Mad Bum? That's the other aspect of this that I think the Cardinals can turn to. I, I, look, I agree. I think a top-end starter makes all the sense in the world, but I could also understand deciding to okay you know what we can get away with a Wainwright Michaelis we'll throw Mats in game three and honestly you could have Palante be a quote-unquote opener slash starter in game four of a playoff series and if you load up the bullpen with a bunch of weapons that's what a lot of teams do in the playoff now it, playoff baseball is now more of uh, bullpens than it is of rotations now granted you have to survive through the regular season with the rotation that you have so maybe that's where they go out and they look for another one of those kind of the Paul Blackburn that we've talked about a guy that is more of a Boy, he doesn't really stand out when you acquire him, but it's someone that is just going to come in, eat some innings for you, and then you can go get another weapon to add to your bullpen. I think it's more likely that they would turn to that situation than going towards Bumgarner. And, and look, you're going to have to give up a lot. to ma- Depending on how much of that contract you want to eat, you're going to have to give up a decent amount. Because if you want them to eat about 50% of that contract and say you end up holding on to $30 million over three years, they're going to ask for a lot themselves, too. The Diamondbacks are trying to get out of that contract. It's what they did with Grinky too. They ate up money on that contract to move on from Zach Grinky and send him to Houston as well. So uh, 
I think that's kind of what you're looking at. Do you want to give up prospects for an older guy that could be on your contract for three years, but you don't know what you're getting in Mad Bum? Or do you go more of the route of, okay, let's just go a little bit less cost-effective. We've got the assets for sure in that. Load up the bullpen, and then we can survive on that potentially into the playoffs, and then anything can happen. I think that's happen. what you tried to do this past offseason, and it didn't help you. I... I don't think they loaded up on the bullpen. I think like the Whitgren signing. Yeah, they threw numbers at. They threw the numbers at Whitgren, McFarland, and Verring, and it just hasn't worked out. I but mean, I all think, three bullpen signings this offseason have not worked. And if you, th- I think it's going to be easier to get a deal done for a Madison Bumgarner than it's going to be for some of these bullpen arms because that's what all of these contending teams are going to be looking at, loading up on the bullpen. It might be. I don't know how Do- Dodgers aren't going to be looking at going to get another rotation piece or the Padres. They're going to be saying we need to load up on bullpen help. By the way, that I. I don't I don't think you're going to need them to eat as much of that contract as I would have otherwise expected. And part of this is me projecting what Jack Flaherty is going to be next year. But, I mean, right now you would pay about $10 million for the rest of this season after the trade deadline. Maybe a little less than that, in fact. It might be like closer to $8 million for the rest of this year. Next year, if you could have them take on half of that deal, so you're paying $12 million for next year, that's a totally reasonable deal. For a back-end starter. You're paying for that for any of the one-year options that you're t- you're talking about in the offseason. I remember last year, it was like, hey, all of these guys are one-year, 10 to $12 million deals. Who are you interested in here? And all of them were kind of mad bum-ish. They, they were in that ilk. And then the final year of the deal is $14 million. Let's just say that the Cardinals have to take on all of that. And by the way, there's some deferred money here as well that plays into the, the contract math. But you're essentially looking at $10 million this year, $10 million next year, $14 million in year three. It's a three-year deal worth roughly $34 million. I don't think that's all that bad for what Madison Baumgartner is. And if it ends up going poorly for you, so be it. But I think I've got to give myself the opportunity to be wrong there. Um, and and he's the guy, for me, that makes the most sense if they're unwilling to part with the prospects. And that's kind of the starting port for the conversation. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, the most impressive thing I saw in the playoffs involved something that the Blues were able to accomplish that nobody else was able to do. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. time in at least the last nine years that's as long as we've had the public voting available for the con Smythe award the con Smythe trophy was given unanimously to one player and this time around of course it went to a gentleman that had 29 points in the playoffs and that was kale mccarr and alex kale mccarr was just unbelievable in this postseason against everybody else that he played He was dominant in this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He finished with three goals and he added in four assists as well. He was awesome in the six games. You go back, though, to what he did against the Blues. And to me, this was the single most impressive thing that I saw any team do to any individual player all postseason long. He had zero goals in the series against the Blues. He finished with a total of three points in the series against the Blues. And he did so in six games. Everybody else dominated, completely dominated. I remember reading that piece from Pierre Lebron, and he he went back and asked Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong, like, how did you do this? You guys slowed down. Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon, other than that one game, of course, when McKinnon went off, and the Blues ended up finding a way to win that game. And nobody else has been able to do that all postseason long, and this team ends up going on to win the Stanley Cup final. 
Alex, I still am not totally sure how they did it other than Ryan O'Reilly is unbelievable and they stepped it up defensively in a big way. But for me, the most impressive thing I saw all playoff long was how the Blues were able to slow down Kale McCarr. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a coaching. Um, it goes to show you how great the coaching staff is for the Blues because they stated going into that series, we got to find a way to eliminate Kale McCarr and they eliminated him. The unfortunate part is they couldn't figure out how to stop the other types of scoring against that Colorado Avalanche team. And uh, the, the other three teams that played Colorado in the playoffs, they couldn't figure out how to do either. And that's what I feel like was most impressive about that series. In all reality, the guy that hurt the Blues the most was Nazem Kadri. He was the guy that really affected the Blues the most in that series. Um, to be able to limit a guy to three points who was having a Bobby Orr type playoff that's something to hang your hat on. And for me, I think a lot of that just comes down to the the planning and coaching side of things for the Blues because they knew that that was where they had to eliminate. And it comes down to, like you mentioned, the Ryan O'Reilly's, the Braden Shens, the Robert Thomases, the guys that made it a point to know where Kale McCarr was at at all times. And two of the three points for McCarr came at even strength, which means they also eliminated him on the power play, yep. which goes to show you how good the penalty kill was for the Blues. So That's a really good point, actually. There's a lot of elements from the Blues playoff series against Colorado, which, no coincidence, I'm saying this because I still believe the Blues beat that team, if not for the Bennington injury. But to, to handcuff Kale McCarr in six games... That is probably one of the most impressive stats throughout this NHL postseason. In 14 games against teams not named the Blues this postseason, he had eight goals and 18 assists. That's good for 26 points. In the six games against the Blues, he had three points, three all all assists. So he averaged half a point per game against the Blues. He basically averaged two points per game against everybody else in the playoff run. So he was four times better. Four times more productive against the teams not named the St. Louis Blues on their playoff schedule. I just, I I find it to be remarkable what the Blues were able to do in that series against this team that we now, I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning essentially had the same series against the Colorado Avalanche as the Blues did. That's what we just watched is, I mean, there was an overtime game that went in the other direction. There was an overtime game for the Blues that went in the other direction where their goalie was able to keep them in it. That sounds familiar to this series. Uh, you look at the way that the the Lightning were able to win their games in this series. It's basically because they, they, they suffocated the Avs for a couple of games. They found a way to get through. That's what the Blues were able to accomplish. I will go to my grave believing, and I know you're on this same wavelength with me, Alex. If the Blues have Tory Krug, in that series, if the Blues have Jordan Biddington for the remainder of that series, I still think they're hoisting the cup today, man. I, I think they're the team that instead of the abs, I think whoever won that series, and we said it at the time, and it still remains true for me, whoever won that series, I think was going to go on to win the cup. And I don't even think it revolves around Tory Krug. I think they could have won that series without Tory Krug. Jordan Biddington was just in the heads of that team. And Ray Ferraro, who did a phenomenal job on the broadcast throughout the playoffs, he reported that they had a team meeting Colorado did going into game number six. And I know people hear team meeting are like, yeah, okay. But I found it interesting because he said that those players had to go to the team meeting and said that that elimination game in five, it got bigger than them. They got a little too shooken up um, because they were trying to win the Stanley Cup. And of course it affected them, but they found a way to fix it in game six. I think that could have happened, but an even 
bigger degree if Jordan Bennington doesn't get knocked out of that series because this is a team that was trying to get past the second round and this was a team that the Blues owned them in game one despite them losing and then beat them in game two and was the better team in game three and I know I'm basically living in the past right here but I think it all revolved around Jordan Bennington and that's why I'm I'm actually a little bit um optimistic about next season when it comes to the central division you should be you absolutely should be um the final thing that i wanted to get to here alex you mentioned this before the show today can you imagine being Corey perry what is it the last three years he's been on different teams and all of them were the losing side of the stanley cup final signed with dallas for the league minimum after being bought out by anaheim loses in the stanley cup final in the bubble signs with montreal makes it to the Stanley Cup final, loses, and then signs the two-year deal with Tampa. And it's not like he was traded to these teams no. that ended up like... He opted on all of them. I, that's crazy. So he's he clearly has good taste in terms of who he's signing <laughs> well, with. Well, he's not that great because he should have come to St. Louis. Touche, but he, I mean, you had mentioned him a couple of years ago as a guy that you mm-hmm. would have liked to have seen here, and it, clearly that would have been a smart move for the Blues. But, man, that that is... I know that there were a couple of headlines about how Pat Maroon said this one this one hurts more than any other series that he's lost in his career. Dude, all I could think about as I was reading those was, yeah, I'm sure it hurts, Pat. Like, But you won three straight on different yeah. teams. He's won 15 straight playoff series. So, yeah, it stings. But, I mean, you got to oh, God. imagine what Corey Perry's feeling like right now. And the first thing I thought of when we talked Getting about to this. the mountaintop three straight years oh, yeah. and then tumbling down right before you get to see the yep. summit. Like, God, can you even imagine? This, this was Marion Hosa, but the difference is Hosa did this only twice. He hasn't done it three times like uh, Corey Perry did. Hosa, who signed with Detroit, lost to Pittsburgh, and then signed with Pittsburgh and lost to Detroit, and then signed with Chicago and they beat essentially Pittsburgh in the in the postseason, but it's like that's what Corey Perry's gone through right now. But I thought Steven Stamkos really summed it up best last night when you talk about these playoffs. And this is why I, I hate the playoff format. And granted, you might not have had to do this if you're Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay just had a gauntlet of a playoff. They had to go through the MVP of the National Hockey League in Austin Matthews. They had to go through the President's Trophy team in the Carolina Hurricanes, and then they had to go through the Vezina Trophy winner in Igor Shosturkin. And then go up against the best team in the Western Conference, where Nash or Colorado had to beat Nashville, Edmonton, two very easy Damn. series, and then St. Louis. So they went up against the during their playoff run, MVP, the MVP, the the Smythe slash Norris Trophy winner, and the Vezina Trophy yep. winner, and then of course That's the crazy. President's Trophy team. That's what their playoffs were. Yeah. So th- based on their team, they either went up against a team that had the best record yep. in the NHL, or this one year, of the best players, or they went up against the best goalie, the best defenseman, or the best forward. Yep. <laughs> and that's what, if they would have won that series, that probably would have been the most impressive Stanley Cup championship in a very long time. That's nuts. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we get to the BK and Ferrario rewind and your final chance for today to win a pair of tickets to. Uh, big time concert at Bush Stadium. But coming up next, who are the biggest boogeymen in St. Louis sports? There was one that we saw this weekend that I think is making his way up the list. Plus, what the heck is going on with Yachty right now? Can we get any real answers on this? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero zero comfort service text line. What happened, buddy? Talk to us. Texture number one hundred and one. 
Wow. This is not on the way the you want to get tickets away. 65780. Come on, man. A little more You're going to have a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett, and the Blackhearts. Hey, it's all no, coming up on July 5th. It's at Bush Stadium. Time, man. Nothing but a good time. At least they'll be at Bush Stadium over the next couple of weeks. You know who won't? You can also get a bonus chance to win free tickets now at 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app or throughout the week here on BK and Ferrario. If you are texture number 101, and you can tell us what Tanner is planning to buy with his extra paycheck in the month of July, you're going to win the pair of tickets. You heard the Sports Center update. You know what the news is. The Cardinals have put my guy, Harrison Bader, on the injured list with right foot plantar fasciitis. He's been dealing with this, I think, all season long. There were a number of days where he had the heel issue that they were talking about. Seems like a heel issue that they would have been talking about. And Jack Flaherty was placed on the 15-day IL. Well, that's all right. They got Alec Burleson, who's been tearing up Memphis right now. He, This is his opportunity. Nope. Connor Capel and James Nail. Those are your two guys that are going to be making their debuts tonight. Time to put the at some point. Time to put the nail in the coffin for the Miami Marlins. Now I know a lot of Cardinals fans were probably excited <laughs> no, about Alec Burleson <laughs> and the possibility that he could get the call up. I mean, if we're being honest, they're probably I don't know what the exact date is, but they're pretty close to when Tyler O'Neill should be able to return from the IL. And when he returns, he's gonna get all of the starts out there, and you've already got Brendan Donovan. My guess is Connor Capel probably makes what one or two starts while he's up so there's just not every day at bats even now does he even make a start Burleson maybe not I I don't know but over the next 10 15 days he'll probably make one or two um and he's actually been really good so far down in triple a he's he's batting 270 he's getting on base at a really high clip he is hitting for a little bit of power so Connor Capel is a perfectly reasonable call up so maybe this is why the Alec Burleson isn't happening because we know John Mozeliak's mindset. They want those guys to get every day at bats. Yeah. And Alec Burleson is that player. And in all reality, Connor Capel would not be getting any starts, in my opinion, because you've got Donovan, you've got Yepes, you've got Carlson, and you've got Newpar. Those four guys that are playing the outfield. We're going to be you. at the ballpark later on today. My guess is with these kinds of roster moves, we'll probably be able to get the chance to talk to John Mozeliak. Yes. We'll ask what went into the decision to to bring these guys up, my guess would be that's what his explanation will be. Well, there weren't everyday opportunities for those guys, so we didn't think that this was the right time for Alec Burleson to make his way up. Connor Capel is going to be a guy that he'll essentially say what he said when, who was it that they brought up for a brief amount of time? Scott Hurst? No, Robertson. earlier this year. Maybe it was Kramer Robertson, where he's like, hey, listen, He's not going to get a whole lot of opportunities. It made sense. It was the path of least resistance for us. Hey, but look, his mom coaches LSU basketball. Don't tell his mom that because she was very excited. Now, Harrison Bader going on the IL is a big deal. That is a guy who I understand he's not the best bat in your lineup, and he's probably never going to be, and that's okay. But he's a winning player. He is. And he plays excellent defense for you in center field, and you get worse in the outfield by him not being out there. So that stinks. And then Jack Flaherty is really the main storyline here. They placed him on the 15-day IL with right shoulder strain. That's what they they lo- uh, labeled it as. I don't want to read too much into anything, but the issue that he had previously was the slap tear, which is a tear in your right shoulder, which is otherwise known as a strain. I hope that this isn't, isn't indicative that it's worse than what we thought. But again, this goes back to what we said at the beginning of the show today. I just don't know that you can really count on Jack Flaherty returning to form this year. And that sucks, but I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, um, I'm under the same impression of Jack Flaherty as I am with Miles Michaelis last year. 
where I was to the point where I was like, you know what? If Miles comes back, great. It's an asset that you didn't expect you're going to have. It's like a trade, as Anthony Stalter would say. But I'm not anticipating Jack Flaherty a part of this rotation moving forward because... See, I think he might be, but I don't know that we can expect Jack Flaherty of old. That, that's kind of what I'm it getting might at. Be trending, even if he does start, I, I don't it, know that he's going to be that it guy It might again. be trending a little bit towards an Alex Reyes situation where... If it reminds get, me a lot of Michael Walker. Yeah. Came it, up, was pretty good, and then just the body uh, fell apart on yeah. him. That, that, that is what I'm concerned about is, are we watching either Michael Walker or Jaime Garcia? Where it's like, hey, the, the injuries start to mount up, they pile up. And it started with the shoulder. He had the lat last year, and now it's continuing to to be an issue for him. I, I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Jack Flaherty regains form at some point. Just like right now, we're watching Michael Walker pitch really well this season for the Red Sox. I think you could see that at some point in the future for Jack. I don't know how you can predict when that's going to be, who it's going to be for, or how long it's going to take to get there. That's my concern with him right now. Yeah, and that's where I am too. Is that you just have to plan on? I I agree with you. I. Depending on how serious this actually is uh, with the shoulder uh, strain, is is it going to be, can I get contributions from Jack Flaherty, but I wouldn't expect it to be at the level that I was ex- originally expecting at the beginning of the year? Or is it one of those where Alex was talking about where it's basically, yeah, I just don't know if I can count on legitimately anything from Jack Flaherty because I don't know if he'll be healthy again this year. And, and that's the approach that the Cardinals have to have co- going into uh, the rest of the season. I thought they needed that approach when it came to Flaherty and Michaelis at the beginning of the year was basically have that approach. You know they're going to be healthy at some point and they're going to pitch, but expect the worst from them, not the best. And you can see they've gotten that big upside from Miles Michaelis and he's paid off for them. But yeah, they they can't be expecting Jack Flaherty to regain form at least in the 2022 season. I, I just think if you're a fr- like if you're running a front office like John Mozalock is, you got to view this as okay. Well, he pitched last year for us, but then was out for the remainder of the season. He pitched a little for us this year, but then the injury popped back up. I'm to the point now where I cannot rely on Jack Flaherty to be a part of my rotation. I got to work with what I know, and that's the fact that my rotation is hurting my bullpen right now. And so I can't hope that in 15 days, Jack Flaherty's back to the form and he's going to come back and pitch seven innings because we just went two months hoping that that was the case. So I just think if you really are going all in for a World Series this year, you can't back the horse of, well, Jack Flaherty will get back to that form. I, I agree. I Right now, the immediate timing of this, my guess is you'll see Matthew Libertor fill into that fifth spot in the rotation. So the next four days, you'll have Wayno, Hudson, Palante, and Michaelis. I think Hudson was about to get removed from the rotation. Uh, I think when Matt's returns, if Hudson didn't perform better in his next couple of starts, they were planning to go with Palante as their starter, and they would have taken Hudson and removed him from the rotation. Uh, that's a bad idea because you're taking an ace out of a rotation. And put him into the spot where previously Andre Palante was as a long man in your bullpen, and then Matthew Libertor would have been that that fifth guy as well. So right now that's what you're at, what you have. I I've, I think we're all on the same page. This is probably going to require some sort of a trade. Because a rotation of Wayno, Hudson, Palante, Michaelis, and Libertor is not a contending rotation. Just and you're going to take two guys out of your ro- your bullpen that you're wearing thing wearing thin in Zach Thompson and Johan Oviedo, which means you're going to have to get more of a Drew Verhagen, a TJ McFarland, although he's on the IL, and Nick Whitgren, which in all Both reality, of those guys are. Oh, they are. Well, in all reality, that goes back to Ali Marmal's point, where it's like we got to have more guys, and you don't have those guys right now. The timing couldn't be worse, man. Because right now you're about to play three against Miami at home to finish out this homestand. Then you've got three on the road at Philly, four on the road at Atlanta, who's playing very well, although it sounds like Ronald Acuna Jr. might be out for a little while. 
four home against Philly, three home against LA. Your schedule just got a whole lot tougher and you're going to go through all of this without Jack Flaherty, some of it without Harrison Bader. You're already, you've got uh, Hennessy's Cabrera on the 10 day IL right now, man, this is it's not ideal timing yeah. wise. I mean, this is, this is John was time right now. Yeah. He's he's on the clock. You can't blame Ali Marmol with what's about to take place and, and point at a manager. You're going to point to either the players or the front office in terms of how this goes the next couple of weeks. On the other side, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind, including the port the part of the team that needs to step up over the course of the next two weeks. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. ESPN app. It's loaded with a ton of awesome giveaways this month. If you already have it, make sure to check out the reward section to see all the giveaways that we've got available. If you haven't downloaded yet, what are you waiting for? Now is the time to do so. You'll have a chance to win a portable Traeger grill, a rolling Yeti cooler, or a signed Ryan O'Reilly jersey. So much more. It's all available to you right now over on the 101 ESPN app. All right. So on the other side, we talked about uh, some of the injuries that have popped up for the, the Cardinals of late. They've got some COVID stuff going on. They've got Harrison Bader, who was just added to the IL. Jack Flaherty is now on the IL. Alex, while they are without Jack Flaherty for God only knows how long, while Harrison Bader is out of the lineup, so your defense is not going to be good as good in the outfield, you need this offense to step up in a big way. They've been pretty good for much of the season. They're top 10 in almost every statistical category, top five in the National League in basically every statistical category. You're about to head into some really good pitching. You've got Pablo Lopez on the mound tonight. He's been excellent. Sandy Alcantara might be the best pitcher in the National League this year. You've got Philadelphia, who is going to have Gibson and Wheeler in that series. Then you're going up against some really good starters against the Braves as well. This is not going to be easy, but your offense is going to have to carry you for the next two weeks if this is a team that we think is as good as it is. Well, the good news is that they got the perfect pitching matchup for that offense to take lead with Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara. Not good. Not good at all. Not good at all. But you were right. I mean, the thing about it is you've had the same four guys contribute consistently and Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Brendan Donovan, and Tommy Edmond. But beyond that, it seems like it's just been it's just been roulette with these guys where it's like you're just hoping that somebody lands on a big offensive night, whether it's Nolan Gorman or Juan Yapez, you just don't have the regulars out there. Dylan Carlson has kind of been a roller coaster season. Tyler O'Neill's been injured. Harrison Bader's been up and down. The catching position pretty much has been non existent. And then the bench slash DH, it's been up and down. So this has just been the problem with the offense. They have the talent, at least I believe, with the depth that they possess, but we just haven't seen it in action consistently. So now you need it more than ever, like you said, because I'm I'm assuming Ali Marmol's message to this team, if there is a message from the manager, is, guys, we're going to have to pick up the slack for this pitching because we don't have a whole lot of it right now. I know it's unfair. You really need Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes to have a big couple of weeks. Those are the two guys that have to pick up the and slack. Carlson. And Carlson. Yeah, and Carlson. You need Carlson before the other two. Th- those, are, those are the three. Like, Nolan Gorman right now is a 745 OPS since his call-up. That's okay. It's all right. Juan Yepes, 790. It's pretty darn good. You need more of that. 
and Carlson too. He's he's been pretty good since he's been healthy again. And those are the three guys probably because you know you mentioned it. You know what you're getting out of Goldie, Arenado, Donovan. Those guys have been the same guys all year long. You kind of know what you're getting out of Tommy Edmond as well. Not a whole lot of pop, but he's going to hit for average. You need the guys around them. That the two hole hitter, whoever that is on any given day, and then five six. Those guys have to be contributing right now, or this team is is going to go through a bit of a slump. Six one eight makes a good point. At least they just got done with that boring series with the terrible Cubs. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be that? out of the Cardinals game later on this evening. If you are around in the upper level by the press box, come say hi, and we would be happy to hang out for a little bit. Coming up from 2 to 6 is the fast lane. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, <laughs> if I'm still alive, on 101 ESPN. Everybody panic! You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A good story helps us understand the world and how to make it better. That idea drives what we do on the Daily News podcast, Post Reports. We bring you stories that empower people. You know this is a fraud, right? Why are you calling people doing this? And that hold powerful people accountable. Wait, you did what? We had to sue your office twice to get our hands on these documents. My name is Martine Powers. I co-host the show. Take the trusted reporting of The Washington Post wherever you go. Follow and listen to Post Reports.